Welcome to MGO Podcast 14.1. You know, we just decided, who wants to talk about quarterbacks anyway? This is the only quarterback conversation-free podcast on the Michigan internet. It's avant-garde. You're going to love it. Okay, guys, we're we're locked and loaded. There's four of us for this massive podcast. We're recording from the venue podcast studio, so it should be even more awesome than it usually is. I'm Brian Cook. This is the MGO Podcast. I'm Seth Fisher. I'm Dave. <laughs> He's Dave. Dave. And I'm Alex Drain. Great. So we've got we got a Brazilian soccer player on the podcast. <laughs> Is there another one of you who plays for, like, a French team? Like, there were six Freds at one point? Dave? Well, I mean, you could call me Hulk, too. <laughs> if we no. make fun of him, is that we mean just... he falls on the ground and, like, writhes for five minutes? Are we just, are we just naming single-named soccer no, players? No, because there were two different Freds at the same time. Oh, I see what like you're saying. Which is, like, what ex- exposes the whole So there's whole. a French Dave, a German Dave, a Brazilian right. Dave. Yeah. I'm the Polish Dave. Great. Dave uh, Nasternak. Also the is, that, is that better? Jim Trussell's favorite play. Speaking of Poland's famous winged hussars, uh, thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. Rishi and Ryan have been our biggest supporters from the beginning. Check out their wide selection of officially licensed Michigan gear at their three store locations in Ann Arbor or learn about their custom apparel is at undergroundshirts.com. We'd also like to thank our associate sponsors, Homeshire Lending, Peak Wealth Management, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Prentice Forum's venue where we recorded this, The Nosebleeds, which is the Sklar Brothers' new show on UFC Fight Pass, and introducing to the podcast our longtime ticket partners, Ticket IQ. All right, 51-7 to 7 over Colorado State, and the only thing anyone wants to talk about is how J.J. McCarthy should be the god emperor of Michigan football. And, all right, lightning round. True or false? True. True or false? That that's the thing that people want to talk that about? you believe that should be the case? Oh, probably true. Yeah, probably true. All right. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> but it's closer than some of the narrative. So than the experts think? Let's, <laughs> let's state that. Seems like most of the fan base is like, all right, JJ time. And everybody in this room is also JJ time. Let's devil's advocate this a bit, which is not something I like to do usually. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important here because I think we might be getting ahead of ourselves. So McNamara starts off poorly. Poorly. (laughs) He's not at fault for the all near interception. Okay. I've looked at that a lot. If all doesn't stumble, that's a catch. Um. And then after that drive, he starts putting it together. Like he's hitting guys underneath. He's being decisive with the ball. You can frame the issues in the first quarter as just first game hiccups. You know, I've got a competitor behind me. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. And this was something that McNamara did last year too, where he kind of started off shaky and then he improved. So we're going on a total of 18 throws. And if you look at, the throws past like the first couple drives, that looks like a mostly plausible version of a guy who can be a good quarterback. You just don't have the data. And the thing is, you're not going to get more data next week until like the third quarter. So 
How how do we feel about that <laughs> line of argument? I I think that, and you're going to have to UFR this, um, but I think that a lot of the throws later were actually not very good either. Like, there's one in particular that sticks out. <laughs> there's one in particular that sticks out where, like, he's got, I think, Schoonmaker wide open underneath, which is his first read, which is the kind of throw that he was hitting all all the time last year. Uh-huh. And he's got the leverage, he's got the look, and instead he kind of bolts out of a clean pocket and then chucks it really high to Blake Corum, who has to, like, spear this ball over his head and then turn around and make a guy miss and just barely get no, to where Schoonmaker would have caught it. That was an if easy. They just threw that's it. a little dramatic, that's, but yes, I know what you're saying. Version. I, 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 like, it, second and four. That's completely I'm, fine I'm, for a I mean, we, we don't have a whole lot of data. There's not a whole <clears> lot of passes in this game. Dave. So Alex and I were talking about this, and I think the takeaway from this is not how good or bad that he played. It's that what we were told he did this summer, he looked like Cade from last year. Okay. That is... like, can Michigan win the Big Ten with him? I think so, potentially. But we were told he went from here to way up here, which is apparently also where McCarthy is, and... We did not see that in the throws and the things that happened yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised they didn't really throw the ball down the field. <laughs> well, so there was I one. I mean, even last year, Cade would take one or two deep shots a game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Colorado State was playing this DJ Durkin-ass defense where they had a guy at like 15 yards on every play. So I can see that being part of it. But also, like, dude, you got – it's an audition, right? Yeah. Right. You got to unleash the dragon at some point. Well, you also have to be. You have to run the plays you're called to. Well, yeah, but those. I mean, it's not like Michigan didn't have guys running downfield at some point during the game, right? It's like, and then I was going over the all thing, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, that's not his fault. But also, it's a t a tight end angle route on third and ten, right? That he's not going to get the first down on. No, he's going to get six yards. <laughs> yeah, and then. What you see on the other side of the field is you see Donovan Edwards motion out. You see the Colorado State defensive back in cover two freak out about Donovan Edwards and suck up. And you see that Roman Wilson is going to be wide open for a touchdown on a corner route. Uh huh. And that is like, okay, if he's not making that read, how likely is it that he's going to be able to stay in front of J.J. McCarthy? Because this is what we you talked about all last year, right? right. Where it's like this guy knows where to go with the ball and he knows what he's doing pre-snap and it's like – if you look at that pre-snap situation, yeah, they have a middle-of-the-field safety, and then they have two guys over two to the field. You should be looking to the field. Yeah. And he didn't. And I'm that more than I think the inaccurate throws is, is where the issue might come in. There was another one, too, where they had all the receivers lined up to the field, and uh, they were protect- so there was only three guys in the route. Right. And he ends up rolling out towards the boundary. There's nobody out there. He thought... What he did is he thought he had Ronnie Bell across the middle. Well, he, he got pretty quick pressure on that one. And, but that's, yeah. it's a red zone issue, right? Mm-hmm. So in this game, the offense felt a lot like last year's offense where they would move the ball between the 20s and then they'd kick a short field goal. And at some point, even if the quarterback isn't directly at fault when he gets flushed out of the pocket, you're talking about Jim Harbaugh's preseason comments were like, who can make some water out of wine? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how that goes. <laughs> and JJ you McCar- and the announcers both can't get any biblical quotes and, right. And, and so JJ McCarthy does give you that aspect in a way that I think 
is more important when the field gets constricted. Well, I think that's what we're sort of waiting to see. Well, I mean, we did see it as soon as McCarthy well, came in the right. game. Right, but I mean, he also did not have a lot of a throws and yeah. b difficult throws. I think I had one out that he had to Henning was that's a decent throw. It was safe, yeah, it's but a seven yard speed out to the field that got there real quick. But so. what you saw was what he does in the run game and the threat that he brings to the run game, which is what we all know. It's nothing new. But I also don't think, from a passing standpoint, you saw anything different than you've seen from McCarthy either. No, but and they didn't really do that when anyone was in the game, except maybe Alan Bowman. And one thing that jumped out is I'm, I'm going over the McNamara section of the game, and there's that the drive they had that was all on the ground, they scored a touchdown. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, what is Colorado State doing? Because they're treating McNamara like he's McCarthy. <laughs> like, Michigan's running some zone read stuff, and they've got a defensive end flying up way upfield of the arc block guy. And then on the quorum chunk run that probably could have should have been a touchdown gets him down to the 10 there's a linebacker out there too which has to be a bust on some level but they're dedicating two guys to the threat of a mcnamara keeper and that's the point in the mcnamara run game that feels the best Mm -hmm. so even that it's like okay (laughs) we can still run the ball when mcnamara's on the field it's actually like oh this is another jj (laughs) drive it's just Colorado State has no reason to be treating it like a JJ drive. It, 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 there's a thing I noticed about, and I noticed especially uh, when JJ kept and all and ran for the touchdown. They were doing that thing that Army was doing, where they're like, kind of giving you that token. We have a guy out here. You have to give. And the second that uh, mesh happens, that guy is just booking inside. So like they they're trying to force the give and then jump inside on it, and he actually does it. I mean, not greatest players they're going against, but on the JJ run, the guy is outside on the mesh. The He's touchdown like, on the touchdown. He's actually giving him a a give read, and JJ sees that he you know, and JJ keeps it anyway. And the guy right after the read dives inside, and that's why there's no edge on that play. Well, I mean, I think uh, John Dewar pick this out and Schoonmaker gives this guy a head fake when he's going into him where it's just like, all right, here we go. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of Im- gives him the uh, impulse to, to go inside because he feels like it's actually split zone. So um, I'm not sure. I, that felt like a keep read to me because the guy was so far away. There was a, uh, a, I think his fourth run where he's able to get outside of a guy who's actually pursuing him mm-hmm. and pick up the first down where he goes out, out of bounds. Like, a keep read for McNamara and a keep read for McCarthy are not the same. <laughs> the slider's a little different spot. So, I mean, I can't dispute the fan base's general opinion that it's time for, for McCarthy. Uh, my only concern is that we're going to get the Hawaii game and it's going to be like, all right, it's McCarthy time, and then UConn is nothing. And then you go into a Maryland game with a live offense, and what if it's like – Interception Palooza there. I don't think that's going to happen. Against Maryland's think. defense? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's the I mean, way. Iowa might have a good defense. The way you lose 5-3 to three to Iowa. <laughs> they might just safety us to death. <laughs> I don't even want to think about that. But, I mean, so I think it's important to try to, like, think about why this is so close. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, so... What do you mean? The, why so the so quarterback close? battle was reputed to be fifty-fifty all the way. All the insiders were basically like, "We don't know." Like, 
it, both these guys look really good, and it feels like McCarthy is passing him, and then he'll throw a pick. So, I what we saw on Saturday was not what we saw from McNamara later later last year. I thought that performance was way worse than the standard McNamara, and I don't believe if McNamara was the starter all year that we would get a performance like that. I think there is something to like the first game jitters. I think you're correct. He settled down a little bit. He didn't progress beyond what we thought, but it's not really a big sample size. Yeah. So like, if we didn't have McCarthy available... I would be saying, okay, this game doesn't really tell us much. First game jitters. Maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe just he has bad days sometimes. He had a bad day against Washington last year. Yeah. But well, that know, was well. He had in, he was inconsistent. That's just kind of what he was. Even get, even some games later in the year weren't his best games yeah. either. Some of them were. I mean, I agree with you. He definitely took a jump and played mm-hmm. well in a number of games. But I mean, there were games late in the year where this wasn't his best stuff either. It's just very like... Yeah, and I guess the thing is, is if you're going to be inconsistent, well, we got a guy who runs a 4-4 who could be inconsistent too. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of, I think, where we're at. Do we, does anybody have any more burning quarterback takes before we move on? I do, but I'm going to save it for the hot take. Okay. Yeah, that's me too. I <laughs> just wanted to point out that <clears throat> this game is one where we saw the advantage in athleticism JJ has in escaping pressure. Uh, I mean, Kay didn't face a ton of pressure like was showing up at times in this game last year. And there's one play in particular that I remember where, you know, Kay doesn't have the athleticism to outrun the edge guy and has to throw it away. Mm-hmm. Whereas JJ has the ability to roll and make something happen, which I know the coaches somewhat fear. But if Michigan's going to have a rickety offensive line for a little bit with injuries and things like that, the ability to extend plays rather than just having to throw it away because he can't get outside the pocket is maybe another point towards J.J. Yeah, and there were two of those plays, and he got out of the pocket, and both times he just kind of like took the simple check down. Yep. So he didn't pull the Dalen Baldwin from last year mm-hmm. where it's like, no, 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 yes. It was just like, okay, yeah, that's a good play. Honestly, on the check down he had to Bredesen, I was kind of thought he should have run, run too. <laughs> it was like, well, Bredesen had a ton of space. It's I mean, no, that was like <laughs> three yards. Yeah. But uh, then Bredesen is a blocker for that one guy who's in the area. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a sort of a conversation in, in Michigan Wonk Twitter about how. <laughs> so there's like. Wonk? A, there's like, you know, Colin and uh, I forget Colin's buddy's name. and. Uh, uh, the space coyote guy? No, no. The there's another guy, Rick Masters, who, oh, okay, okay. who are like Michigan football Twitter, but like very, yeah, wonky Michigan football Twitter. <laughs> okay, and they've been talking about how you've seen college football kind of move away from run heavy quarterbacks. Yeah, so Ohio State in particular. I mean, I mean, this is how those guys are going to go to the NFL because you're not going to have a lot of like a ton of running quarterbacks in the NFL, so you have to be able to throw it. Well. That's true. Uh, so the so there's like the run forward quarterback who's Denard or Tebow, mm-hmm. who I think is sort of out of style right now. We saw you know LSU run Jaden Daniels out there, and that was most of the first half, and that didn't go that well. And then everybody cites Sean Clifford as like the reason you don't do this anymore. <laughs> well, there are other reasons, but yeah, Sean Glifford, Clifford is a battered husk of himself. Like Devin Gardner was a battered husk of himself too. So. I think there is an idea that is correct that if you rely so much on one guy, both in the air and the ground, he becomes a lesser player over time. But 
a guy like McCarthy doesn't have to be that. Oh. Like, you saw guys like Jalen Hurts and Tungo Vailoa. They're pass-first quarterbacks, but that element on the ground that they bring is hugely important to their offense. I mean, Trevor Lawrence did that. Yeah, and, like, even when Ohio State had Justin Fields, Justin Fields ran for 400 yards a season. Yeah. And those were 400 really important yards. And, honestly, it's probably 500 to 600, depending on how many sacks they took, right? Because I didn't factor that out when I went and they, looked at Justin Yeah, but they Fields didn't make it the offense about Justin Fields' legs. It was just like, oh, and by the way, guess what else you have to deal with? Right, and yeah. so – I think that's extremely important, even if you're not running the quarterback 10 times a game. Like, it can be six, and if it's like Shea Patterson going 81 yards against Wisconsin, like, if the threat of the quarterback is not, oh, I'm going to run for 10 yards, it's I'm going to run for 60 yards, then they have to account for that, even if it's not a frequent part of the offense. And so Jim Harbaugh did this with Andrew Luck. Mm -hmm. Like, Andrew Luck would occasionally take a zone read 60 yards. So... It's a thing where even if you see football kind of moving away from it, if you're looking at J.J. McCarthy where it's like this guy can do both, I think the both is really valuable. All right. Now have we <laughs> exhausted all of our quarterback takes? Anyone want to take up Alan Bowman's cause? <laughs> I mean, he looked definitely Fine. plausible. <laughs> I was like, I, was, I mean, you could do worse. We've seen worse. We have seen worse. <laughs> Can we not talk about third string quarterbacks at Michigan? Like that's whenever when we get in third quarter, third well, string quarterback situation. If, if Alan Bowman has an extra year of eligibility, which I think he does, he'll be the second string quarterback next year. No, this is his second. This is his. This he is came for, for two, I believe, okay. and this would be a second. All right. Yeah, I I don't remember. I gotta look at my rosters again because COVID messes everything up in my mind. Yeah. All right. Um, Orgy. <laughs> So uh, I think we're going to call this the cat orgy is our term. <laughs> okay. Well, well, you might call it that. Well, you have to convince me. It's a wildcat with Alex Orgy in the backfield, so calling it the cat orgy just makes sense from a technical standpoint. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with anything mm -hmm. else. It is by far the most technical ver uh, thing that people have called this so far. And so – we didn't get any short yardage snaps in this game except for a fourth and one that was basically a tempo sneak. Mm -hmm. well, it wasn't a sneak, but it was a dive. And so we don't really know who the short yardage back is. Khalil Mulling starts at linebacker. They don't seem to rate Tavier Dunlap very much because, I mean, Stokes came in as the third back. Now, Dunlap was in there with Orgy and actually threw a lead block. Yeah. Yeah, that's all, he, that's all I remember him But doing. Stokes beat him into the game. Right, and yeah. we knew that going in because the Harbaugh depth chart said that. So Orgy as like a single wing quarterback run short yardage option does seem to be something that they're seem to be something they're exploring. I mean, you're kind of tipping, but yeah, I don't. I mean, if it's fourth and one, who cares? Like when Hassan Askins was in the backfield, how many times did Michigan throw in those situations? Well, that's different. Though. They they did stuff. Him it's one different because you don't have a blocker. <laughs> you're a blocker down. They did. Yeah. So we, I mean, there were a lot of hiccups on the offensive line, and you know, part of that's the fact that the starting left tackle wasn't in. And start of it, part of it's just kind of like. And then Barnhart got hurt. I, he came back in after a few. Yeah, he did. Snaps, there right? was a, there was a no. There was a big chunk of that game yeah. where Trevor Keegan was out at left tackle. Yeah. And then they had El Hadi as the left guard did for he? a lot of the game. Really? I think. Yeah. 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 Okay. I thought he came back in. I think I it was like at the end of the first when that happened. He got rolled up in yeah. the bottom of. The so th those are some fairly explainable issues then, and then. Uh, Trent A. Jones had kind of a up and down game. He got burned in pass protection a couple of times. Three, I think. 
Even, even late. I mean, well, no, it's big because, I mean, what you're talking about, I mean, we don't need to go back to the quarterbacks, but what Alex's point was is if the offensive line is going to be a little rickety and yeah. there's going to be a breakdown, you might need a guy to escape an edge rusher. And that's not one of the guys, and it's definitely the other guy. And this is something that we saw, I saw three times. I mean, I rewatched the game, and I, I don't UFR it, but I try to make positive and negative like notes, and he looked really good on the ground. Like his run blocking was really good. But in pass pro, he also got lit up three times. And one of the notes I made was when you had all of the backups in at the end of the game, Trent Jones is still the right tackle. But he's still in the game with all of the twos. And maybe that's because Barnhart's out and he's the normal backup. But, I mean, they're playing walk-ons, and, and he's in the game. So, you, yeah, I noticed that too. You think that's like uh, we need to keep repping this guy because he's having a rough one or – I think, I think it's just you need to keep repping this guy because they were playing him at tight end last year, effectively. <laughs> well, yeah, I think he wanted more snaps because CSU still had their guys in the game. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is that well, Kamara was kind of a, a player, right? Like, yeah. it's one mitigating factor. It wasn't like he was going up against a total nobody. Yeah, with, with their defensive tackle out, he was probably the best player on their defense. Right. So, I mean, but he only got him once. The other, because 40-something got him once and two got him once. Yeah. And two is Onyeki, the Rutgers guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's not great. <laughs> <laughs> he was a decent, but... He was a decent he, player at yeah, Rutgers. Yeah, he, I mean. he, his style at, at Rutgers didn't really lend itself to a lot of edge rushing because he would kind of come back out and then dive in. 4-3, stunt 4-3 must be the person outside of the Rutgers coaching staff who knows the most about the Rutgers. No, staff. Brian McKenzie is our <laughs> yeah. official Rutgers. I, I go to him for for all my information. <laughs> uh, I do know a little – I mean, I was watching with an offensive lineman, so, like, he was the one who was – he was kind of ripping on Trente Jones because he said it's fixable. Like, the things that he was – the his pass sets, he just got his feet in the wrong spot. Like, he was expecting the guy to come inside mm-hmm. of him. Uh which you know, is, I think is a fourth-year player, so it's you, know, you kind of want those things ironed out yeah. by now. Well, but, that's the issue. But also, like first start, guys get nervous, that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to ever pass judgment on an OL after one game after my John Runyon freakout, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was much more warranted. As it a was freakout. that was a bigger game for the freakout, yeah. though. I mean, that's not messing up a couple of plays in a CSU blowout. But it is, it is, it is a bit of a concern because you don't want your quarterback to get thundersacked by a Colorado State player. And <clears throat> so that's going to be... There's the quote. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have some candidates on defense as well. So it's, um, I don't know, a little bit of a concern there. Wide receiver, I don't really know if we can say anything because everybody got exactly one or two targets. Um, the blocking looked pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I mean... I mean, across the board. Well, particularly Ronnie Bell's block on the touchdown for for Roman Wilson. Yeah. Where you look at that, and Roman Wilson can go straight up field, and that one step that he didn't have to take to go around Ronnie Bell's guy is why he scores a touchdown. Yep. It's it's really that thin of a margin. He also set up the safety who had the angle pretty well because he was angled at the end of the run and mm. cut in at the right time. And sometimes yeah. that's a difficult cut, especially when you're going that fast. And then running back, Blake Corum looks like Blake Corum. I like the fact that Donovan Edwards seemed more likely to try to hit home runs to avoid guys not put a shoulder down, except on third and five. There was one yeah. there was, I thought he missed, but yeah. Well, yeah, and there's, that, that'll happen. And then there was one situation where he's got to know where the sticks are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, he, uh, he bounced twice on one play where I was like, okay, man, if you just cut that inside, you're going to get there. And, but, I mean, we were asking him not to bounce last time. Well, it's it's 
I mean, it's just don't lower your children and go directly into a guy, except in situations where you should. So yeah, <laughs> I feel like I felt like oh, not like that. I <laughs> I am like solidifying my take on him that like in high school he could just bowl everybody over and he's just kind of like has to lose some of that. Instinct. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think they worked on that a lot with him in the off season, and now he might be the pendulum might have swung a little bit yeah. too far the other way, and it'll it'll get back to. To the regular spot. They didn't really target him out of the backfield very much. But as mentioned, there was that uh, wide open right. uh, Wilson corner out. That was a part and parcel of, of him motioning out of the backfield. So I, I think that'll be something that we see. One other issue with Trente Jones is that we've seen a lot of guys coming out of the backfield as running backs. So that chip block, you know, you're not really going to get that because one of the issues with the running back core right now is that their pass protection was supposed to be not that great. Mm-hmm. So so why even try it and have an extra receiver? Well, if you want to go downfield, you got to be able to protect. So they could leave a tight end over him, right? And they they did. They had the tight ends blocking, but you kind of, I mean, look at their tight ends. You want to get those guys out in the pass well, pattern too. Obviously, it would be like... <laughs> Haunting for it or something. But so probably. one thing that like leaving a tight end doesn't let you do is that it's not as reactive. Mm-hmm. So if they're bringing some sort of exotic blitz and you've got a tight end and your your protection is set wrong, you're just screwed. If you have a running back, your running back can sometimes fill those gaps because he can adjust. Yeah, side. he can, yeah, he can sure. pick where the guy is coming from who's free. So ideally, you get a running back who's Mike Hart. But if that's not in the offing this year, that's going to be something that might restrict Michigan's downfield passing game. Yeah, I did think I see. I think I saw one Donovan Edwards like where he just stoned a guy coming in on him. So oh, it looks like good. he's got the, you know, maybe not the Mike Hart. I'm going to get on or Vincent Smith. I'm going to get under you kind of mentality. But he's got the uh, A train ability. To just kind of you know, I'm big and strong, and when you come in, I'm just going to halt your momentum, which is also quite effective. Any miscellaneous takes we have? I think we've covered about everything for the offense. for the offense. Yeah. CSU did use a safety on. Uh, Edwards. They were using that number nine guy, um, which I think might be something to watch going forward because that's kind of a that works with that whole like you know is the running back staying in, in to protect? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're going to assign safeties to running backs all the time, that means someone else is getting a linebacker. Um, I had them down for I think seventeen first half plays, and only three of them were passes. And well, on, wait, on first down. Oh, on first down. Okay. Yeah, like on first downs, there were 17 first down where you had a play on first and 10. Right. And they they threw it three times, which I thought was pretty low. And I was, I mean, generally you want that up, if you're a fan of aggressive play calling, you want that up closer to 50-ish percent or thereabouts. Yeah. But the problem that I had with it is we're in a QB competition. And well, this is when you want to throw, I would guess. Do you remember when Lloyd Carr would kind of just run the ball and run the ball and run the ball and then be like, oh, no, it's 14-3 to over a team that we need to destroy? And then he would, like, unleash Tom Brady or Henson or whoever? Yeah, but that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it felt – but I'm saying it felt kind of like that, where, like, Michigan goes in, like, okay, we're going to let, you know, Cade throw it around and show you what he's got. And then when Cade starts struggling, Michigan's like – well, I guess we need to score some points, run the ball, and as soon as they went to their power running game, it was over because sure. they're Colorado State. Alex, I see you got some things written down there. Anything we haven't covered yet? Oh, I just, I mean, I, we saw pretty clearly why Trevor Keegan is not playing left tackle. <laughs> um, that was something that stood out on the rewatch. But I did think Gio Elhadi was fine. 
Okay. Left guard. Didn't see anything wrong from him. So both uh, run blocking and yeah. Pass I mean, so one one thing, my final miscellaneous thing is that we saw no procedure penalties for Michigan, and there were almost no penalties. There was, I think, there was one penalty in like the third quarter. Yeah, and, there was a holding. Yeah. yeah, and I think that was mm-hmm. it. That was one. It was one accepted. There were a few that were thrown. Yeah, but. And so Michigan gets to the line, and they're checking to the sideline. And whenever Michigan checks the sideline, I compulsively check the play clock. <laughs> it's just part well, of Boy, Brian, what has happened to you? <laughs> well, it's just like I just want the information because now I'm like, all right, they're not going to snap it, play clock. Right. And most of the time I was looking at the play clock, it was like 18 seconds. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was – so they didn't even approach a procedure penalty. They didn't – line up incorrectly they didn't spend a timeout on no. confusion or disorganization so that's a real positive in game but that was starting to come around last year they i mean there were some but i mean you look two and three and four years back and it was just a train wreck last year they were could cohesively run a couple of two-minute drives they also were getting to the line and lining up yeah. I mean, it's not completely new but now it's starting for me to fade like i'm not even <laughs> Well, we did have a, quote, offensive coordinator last year, and that's kind of one of the things that people are kind of looking at. Or, like, you know, if if we've gone back to the Harbaugh committee system, I think that might have been part of the issue with our procedure penalties. Or um, just getting the plays in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but there, were, there was no problem getting the no. plays in. And that, for, even for an established, we're doing the same thing kind of outfit, like going into game one, it's always like, ah, I don't know. This might not yeah. go that well in terms of just looking organized. Yeah. Uh, quickly, I had a couple offensive line things. I think Olatimi is going to come out really positive. Yes. And he and Zinter together are going to be really fun. There was uh, there was a couple times where uh, Zinter is like seeing a guy come inside of him instead of you know just locking on him and shoving him inside. He kind of points at him and Olatimi gets around him, and then Michigan got a free block. One time they did it where they shouldn't have done it and actually kind of caused a, a, a stop in the backfield near the goal line. Oh, yeah, that was the Blake Horm five-yard loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was just Zinter and Oluotimi, I think, like taking it too far, and neither one of them got the guy. But the fact that they're even trying that is like advanced Wisconsin OL kind of stuff. And, you know, Trent A. Jones, we mentioned him, like getting around on a – you know, he can pull as a tackle. Yeah. So – from a run standpoint, this team is going to be able to do some things that even they couldn't do last year because Stuber was just really good at just like slamming down on the line. Keegan looks a little bit more agile this year too. I, I know his left tackle work wasn't great. And then the opposite side, Barnhart um, still did a lot of the things I think that made me mark him down last year. And I'm kind of expecting him to come in a little low this this game too. One particular is a duo, and on duo it looks like inside zone, but you just double the guy the whole play. But if the guy is getting blown out and there's a linebacker coming in, yeah. you're supposed to just get off of him and go to the next guy. And Barnhart yes. did not. Yeah, I remember that yeah. one. Yeah. All right, so I think that concludes our offensive takes. We're going to take a break, come back, talk about the defense. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com.
It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or, under, or at pogo.undergroundshirt.com. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Drinking all that free champagne I guess I saw this coming down the line And I know it should be fun But I think I should have packed my gun Got that old suburban showdown in my mind Sit around with the folks Tell the same old tired joke all right, on defense, I think the headline is edge rushers. What the hell? Um, there were four different guys who played end at some point who were not 
Mike Morris, the one guy we expected who would be a pretty good player coming into the season. Just four? Yeah, four. In terms of just ends. Okay. So I I watched the tape, and I saw Jalen Harrell do some real good stuff. I saw Braden McGregor do some real good stuff. I saw Derek Moore do some real good stuff. And I saw Iyabi and Noma do the same thing. <clears throat> what about and, Taylor Upshaw? Yeah. I didn't see Taylor Upshaw do anything. <laughs> He he really didn't. He, he didn't have uh, he was, a pass rush. He, he was, was Taylor I mean, Upshaw. He was like Upshaw, but Upshaw is not playing the weak side end. So yeah, we now have yeah, like yeah. a depth chart here. So hey. it's like Mike Morris is the anchor, mm-hmm. and then Upshaw is his backup, and then Welshoff's the third stringer there, and then this parade of dudes I talked about are the weak side guys. And I don't know. It's oh, it's too. It's almost too good to be true. Because there's that clip that Dewar pulled out uh-huh. where it's like, okay, here's Jalen Harrell knocking over a 325-pound redshirt senior. And I was like, okay, he should not be able to do that. No, and that, <laughs> and that redshirt senior is a transfer who couldn't make it at Tulsa. Like it, uh, he's, yeah. he's, he, he started at FIU. FIU, year. okay. There's yeah. another guy who was a Tulsa at, guy. At guard. <laughs> right. At guard. Right. And, that, and that's the thing. CSU's offensive line is – Awful. They're they're guys who were brought in to be able to pass block for two seconds for the air. Well, their left tackle is a redshirt sophomore who that was his first start. He was actually recruited by Colorado State. Yeah, and he's a local boy who would have been a walk on at other places. Well, I mean, he he got decently rated by by the services. Any case, um, so you're trying to filter out like what's opposition level and what feels real. And I mean, might be a while. Well, I'm just like. Just, just, I mean, just, just maybe next week we'll tell maybe, us. All right, maybe <laughs> like, against Iowa. This, UConn this, will tell. This is something where it's like just you know, you watched it. You've watched a lot of good defensive ends over your period of time. Alex has seen exactly one because he's Four. twelve years old. Uh, and sometimes you see a guy, and even though you're playing nobody state, it's like okay, that one. And I mean, was that your vibe for? Any of the well, rush we got? It's good to see what we saw. Yeah. I mean, you want to be able to see people do these things because we have not seen McGregor, for example, example, get that kind of a pass rush or burst against really people last year. So it's good to see it. Now, like what you're saying is, okay, how does that going to stand up when you face an actual right tackle or left tackle? Right. That so- does remain to be seen. But I think the main thing that I'm going to take away from it is it was good to see all the things that we saw. And it was good that yeah. that is there. And it's not happening against a blocking dummy. But like how, I mean, how much of it do you feel is translatable? Like – I you can't I cannot tell because CSU might be the worst offensive okay, line we've so you, faced in ten you, years. You have no you have no discernible I, my, vibes going forward. My take is that like this is what you needed to see okay. for Michigan yeah. to have any chance whatsoever. Is anyone a little bit more optimistic? Alex, where was Colorado State in your enemy O uh, I think they were eleventh. So there you out go. Of twelve. Because so it gets UConn's worse. Also on the schedule. <laughs> yeah, UConn uh, keeps on jump, jumping into yeah. the conversation. I mean, I think yeah. that we were on MGO Radio, and Seth was like, "Well, if you know they can't beat this offensive line, that's a bad sign." Well, they did. So and they dominated. Them. I mean, and, there's, I mean it was, there's like beat the offensive line to the tune of like they had three sacks, they got some yeah, pressures. right. Like that was one of the more lopsided games I've seen in an offensive line. I mean, defensive line. I mean, it was every snap they were in the quarterback's chest. Anoma got through a guy and then knocked over the running back. 
Okay. That looked like a thing. I I gotta I have to disagree with that one because Anoma got through a guy because that guy was literally like a second late on the snap. Yeah, he was asleep. <laughs> <a slave. laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like hyped about that live, and I looked at the replay. I was like, I mean, he, he showed legit burst. Yeah, no, it was, but, it was knocking over the running back. And he did. While he did. Yeah, the, yeah. the running back was just a gnat. He did not yeah. need to deal with. Um, and then. More actually, like one-armed a guy on one of his pass rushes, and that's that's the thing that I think is the most encouraging of mm-hmm. all the stuff we saw from the defensive ends. You have Derek Moore come out; he's two hundred eighty pounds. He's a guy who his recruiting profile is all like, "This guy is speed off the edge and nothing else." And if he ever learns a move, watch out. And it looked like he learned a move; like he he had speed to power to the point where he he has uh, I don't know if this is a sack or just a hurry. But he comes in and it's a three-man line, and he just crushes yeah. the left tackle, yep. and comes inside, and it's like, oh. And that's a three-man line in which the entire interior line triple teams Mozzie Smith. Well, well, <laughs> that's another yeah. Thing. I mean, like, I think that the guard <laughs> thought. I mean, there was. I don't know. There was <laughs> a, one of it was one of the fourth down sacks. Where one of the I was, I was gonna say, oh, they were plural. <laughs> I mean, and they're running an exotic blitz package, and Mozzie Smith's only job is to like hold the outside. He's just kind of looping around, not doing a whole lot, and he takes two guys the whole play with him because they're just like, oh, we can't leave this guy. Mm. Uh, but we should probably wrap up the defensive end stuff before we start talking about Mozzie. The, the last thing that I had was when Craig and I were rewatching, he was really high on Anoma against the run, like just being disciplined and being in the right space, even if he wasn't um, like like making the tackle. Mm-hmm. He didn't vacate his spot and he was where he should be uh, to you know contain the guy. And the guy that I thought did not hold up a well against the run was McGregor. Yes. Yeah. McGregor got uh, moved several times. Yes. They were doubling him. Which is a mitigating factor, and he's like, I, 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 I gotta wonder, like, so the ends are stand up, yeah, and why is that, like, like what's the? That, I mean, that's the system that they have. I know the idea is that the ends are kind of replacing linebackers or safeties or whatever you use on the <laughs> edges now, right? And those guys are not supposed to let people outside of them. Colorado State tested it right off the beginning with uh, with Morris. Where they're like, okay, if that's going to be your edge, we're just going to go around this with a running back. And Morris had to like spot the running back leaving and bolt out there because he's holding the edge until a safety can arrive. And that was a play from him. Like yeah, I was, was I thought that was yeah. like okay, yeah. yeah. But and, he had to make uh, the play because that's the system. Okay, I, I mean, see what you're saying. So McGregor's a stand-up bend and he's getting doubled, and I you know, I just feel like that's probably not going to go well. And to give the ground he gave is probably not ideal. Yeah, but. I, he got washed pretty He got washed down. a couple times, that's yeah. true. But I don't think that was a responsibility. It was just like he's No, no, not no. It's not. Yeah. It, I don't think he did anything wrong from a, a mental standpoint. He just what are you going to He he, he got also moved. he got to the backfield and like went for the the strip and then just missed on the guy. Yeah. Um where no one else really kind of was that oh, you mean on the pick? Uh yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, was on the pick. Yeah. Okay, well he was getting pushed like the going for the strip was his only option there because he didn't quite win that one the whole way. That was like a plus one, not a plus two. Yeah. So he goes for the strip, and twenty percent of the time, that's a forced fumble, I think. So, like, it just felt like he didn't have the the last push. I was I was, I was making a strength comment. I mean, I don't I don't know about that. There was, I mean, his most impressive rush was, I think, the one where he won to the inside. So mm-hmm. he's, he and he gets should have off. Had, that's the one where he should have had the sack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's just like he, the guy is able to spin off or whatever. But 
So he, he gets off and he gets into the offensive lineman and rips down the hands and then he's around on the inside on almost the same step. And I'm like, I don't care who that offensive tackle is. That's going to work. Mm-hmm. Like if you can, I mean, a better guy might be able to keep his arms up a little better, but just the speed with which he's able to get around, that felt like something that was not dependent on Colorado State. Sure. I mean, that looked like something that Aiden Hutchinson taught him. Yeah. Well, hey, that's what we want out of no, it, right? I, I mean, McGregor, I got the, the sense that his upper body has developed and his lower body has not, which kind of makes sense given his injury history. Well, yeah. He's in his third year on campus. Third, but you can't even count the first year. But the year, first one yeah. was the knee explosion. Yeah. 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 And so there was, well, there was one real weird bit of off-season chatter where it's like uh, McGregor might be the least explosive option. And I was like, that doesn't sound good. Uh-huh. And now I'm like, I might be okay. <laughs> that's, that's, a good thing. that's what you were saying, Alex, is you were like, to me, you were like the, his, his, um, his burst was actually what you were concerned that he lost, but it maybe didn't look like that. Yeah, it looked fine to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then Anoma had excellent get off. Um, I thought more did too. I think maybe it's just like, we were skeptical of this position group because nobody really separated themselves. And we're like, well, somebody's got to separate themselves. And mm-hmm. now it kind of feels like maybe that's okay. Maybe they just have a lot of guys coming through who are They're problems. all really inexperienced. And I think we're... Except u- for Harrell. It, we're yeah. we're uh, used to seeing like draft picks at ends going back what it's long as Harbaugh's been here pretty much every year. I mean, that's just what Michigan has had. And they might have some of these guys as draft picks, but they're maybe a year away from sort of what we're used to seeing in the production in that spot. All right. Lightning round. Who is the starting weak side end against so, Ohio State? So, 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 oh, well, is oh, there, yeah, you can go to him. No, 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 no. That's fine. I just am wondering, is, is there one? Like, is that, is there actually okay. an answer it, or is this, are we going to see kind of committee on the D line? Because we don't need to get into the DTs, but they rotated so many guys on the line. That's true. I, but at some point they're going to cut down the rotation. Okay. It's like enough. a non-conference yeah. basketball Fair. I just game. wanted to. Okay. I, no, and I got an answer for this one. Okay. It's Derek Moore. Derek Moore. All right, Dave. Anoma. Anoma. Wow. <laughs> Jalen Harrell. Jalen Harrell. <laughs> All right, I'm going Braden McGregor. No. <laughs> so we're all right. <laughs> well, that you know what that means. Remember, uh, Alex wrote in the preseason the uh, the Taylor Upshaw line is kind of where you have to pass, and that means all four of them would pass the Taylor Upshaw line. Yeah, it it feels like all of our uncertainty about who's going to start here looked bad in the preseason, but now it looks like oh, there also like may not be a wrong choice. No, I mean I, I'd feel fairly happy about. Any of those, I guess, because if it is, if it is a Noma, then it's like, well, he beat some guys out, and I don't. Want, we don't want to read too much into the Colorado State game, but they got plays from a lot of different guys. Now, now we can talk about Mozzie. <laughs> but you're, I mean, you're the trumpeter, right? Like you're the. I'm the guy who gets. Well, I mean, and you're the Mozzie guy, right? Or is is, is, is there a Mozzie? Do you, you get to be a Mozzie guy on, on Michigan? Like, I was always the Mozzie guy. I I kind of think you. I mean, unless. Seth has stolen it from you, which is possible. I, I mean, I was I, I was going off my charting last year, which was this guy is really good, kind of on the verge of. I'm glad we kept him and not Hinton. I, I feel like there was if if I had to choose if the if I was the NFL and had to choose one, it certainly well, the would NFL did, didn't get to choose it last year. Yeah, there's no question about it that Mozzie is the much higher upside guy, and it felt like he was really 
paying that off in this game. Any single block was just, no. Did you see the picture on the broadcast? Like, they like, showed from when he got on campus to when... Yes. I mean, that's yeah. like... Yes. It kind of felt like Alex Jones a little bit, though, where it's like, you know, before def- 30 days and the after 30 days, just redder. He was definitely redder. more <laughs> toned than Alex Jones. Than that. I know. <laughs> they, I mean, but they also did the thing, he was wearing goggles, so, like, it was, like, the nerd glasses versus, <laughs> like, like the, you know... the Brady picture. Yeah. <laughs> Mozzie Smith stars and she's all that. I, mean, I showed the picture to my wife and she was like, "Ooh, like I, that was." Uh, <laughs> that's she, okay, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's like moving on. Like, like Purdue, you we're first, going off honey. the rails. So uh, Mozzie Smith, sh- uh, you can't think about anything else now. No, I'm just saying, like he looked like a guy who's going to be putting up plus ten to plus twenty in most games this year, and uh, I mean. Offensive line caveats again. Even so, it's but, just like the consistency with which he was going up against guys, and it was just like, oh, oh god, oh god, oh no, oh god. Uh huh. What am I supposed to do with the bear that's in front of me? <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, our hope this year, because we didn't think the defensive ends were going to be getting pass rush on their own, was that either they generate it with weird stuff, or they would just have the defensive tackles blow. The interior up and that mostly they happened. Did yeah, it happened. Like some, yeah. there were a lot of sacks where it was like, okay, okay, which of these four guys yeah. are we going to credit? <laughs> Committee meetings at the quarterback. And so you, you saw Chris Jenkins get in there. You saw Mason Graham bowl a guy back directly yes, into the quarterback. That was impressive. And I mean, Mason Graham cleaned up for another. I think rush directly up the middle, and we saw. Some creative blitzes. I mean, Mike Sainer still got the first sack of the season, which I think everybody saw coming. Yep. But the down-to-down win rate for the defensive tackles is very encouraging. Again, I think independent of opponent. We saw Rashawn Benny make a play. Yeah, he got off a block on a run that yep. looked really mm-hmm. good. And he also got a lot of run. I mean, all these guys are getting yeah, the sheer, a sheer significant amount, of, amount of, of snaps. Yeah. It wasn't like, this guy's in for five snaps, get, makes a play, and leaves. One, one thing I thought was interesting about the defensive tackle play is they replaced some of what they were doing last year with Aiden Hutchinson. You know, he... We got into, like, why do they have the end stand up? And the idea was Michigan would used to have, like, three guys on one side of the line, one guy on the other side of the line, which is Hutchinson. And then, like, you know, the, the giant red, like, run here sign right here. And that's what they – that was the game plan. CSU actually ran a lot of counter right into that gap. And last year, the way Michigan closed that was Aiden Hutchinson just smacked that so hard that, like, there's, there's no way to run between your two guys' butts. This year, the reason why that gap, or this game, the reason why that gap had no one in it, it was Mozzie Smith or Chris Jenkins or Mason Graham a couple times and Rayshon Benny one time just closed it off from the other side. The defensive tackle Like they got side. around? It's just that that gap is like there's, there's actually nobody covering that gap until right. safety comes down. Right. And the idea is the defensive line just has to squeeze it shut. Okay. Okay, and I thought Mike Morris was going to be able to do it, but they used Mike, Mike Morris was on the other side. They were running away from him. Uh, Jalen Harrell was usually on the other side and was not as strong as Aiden Hutchinson. Which so not, Michigan's yeah. baiting them, essentially. It, it's kind of a – yeah, it, it's kind of a bait system, but it's also well, – it's not really – I mean, play. it's just a – Undershifted line. There's always yeah. going to be that gap. So the ability to defend it is pretty important. And the way you defend it is you need someone to win a block, basically. Yeah. Right. And so that's so that's, that's why Hutchinson obviously got it last year. Yeah. yeah. And, and now they're trusting Mozzie. They're tr- well, Mozzie or Jenkins was in that that gap. Okay. Uh, well, I think against real competition, it's almost always going to be Mozzie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, linebacker level, Colson had ten tackles. 
and was the only guy on the defense who I think played almost all the snaps. <laughs> yeah, he played a lot. He, I, I mean, I tried to look at a lot of the things that he did in terms of, like, is he in the wrong spot? And I don't think I saw a real no, bad was, placement for, and for him. He had a couple of incidents where it was a run play, and he recognized it, and he fired. He made a tackle at or near the line of scrimmage, yep. which we didn't really see from him last year. That was something Josh Rosh would flash, who made the, the Ravens. And that's progress there. Um, Mullings um, had a couple hiccups. Didn't seem out of place necessarily, but not going to be severely tested given the pressure that Michigan was getting. They also played Barrett probably more than him. I kind of like Barrett more than him. I think Mullings... I mean, the problem with Barrett is like what happens when you run the ball, and they didn't do that. Yeah. Well, so Barrett, um, he can he can stay high and then and flash down, and he played that position well, like a safety would play, like a Kalik Hudson would. Well, he would got do that, that hand on that seam rod and just went directly. To the yeah, yeah. <laughs> super unlucky on that. But uh, Mullings to me felt like you know. I'm trying to like imagine like you know Nakai Hill Green last year about the same size as Mullings, but like there were a couple chances where Mullings had to like really blow something up, uh, where the defensive tackles kind of gave him a free shot for a second, and he just he he accepted more than took. And Hill Green was very good last year in that position when you're set up already at being aggressive and just shooting in there and destroying the thing, and Mullings was like in his gap. But not really like attacking the guys. The Mullings thing is just so weird. Like, I mean, you got a guy who, <laughs> who's playing running back half the time, and then he starts the opener at linebacker. It's just uh, kind of. I mean, he played the first series, but well, yeah, but he's. I don't think I've ever seen a guy playing a position, and they're clearly testing out a swap to offense, and then like, no, this this guy's in our two deep. That doesn't happen. Well, they don't have many other linebackers. No, but what I'm saying is like. Either he has unbelievable potential as a running back, or they were terrified of him as a linebacker. Because that's the only way that this whole offseason for him makes sense. I think it makes perfect sense if you're terrified of your depth at linebacker. Yeah. And no, because like, if you're terrified of your depth at your linebacker, why are you moving your second-string so, guy away? Because he's so good at running back. Because right. like, the offensive coordinator is like, can I borrow him for one second? And then these, then like, well, there's also a, no. there's also a need for a certain spot at running back, yeah. which makes yeah. sense. And you're like, this guy has a, the potential to fill it. So you want it, you want to try that. But then if there's like one-and-a-half linebackers, then you're like, well... <laughs> Did you see anything from the linebackers, Alex? Um, I mean, the only thing I noted that we haven't talked about is Jimmy Rolder did play a, he a, did. You know, a few series towards the end of the game. I mean, it seems like he is next up after the first four. Hopefully, He was don't. in the rotation. He actually got in a few times, too. Yeah. yeah. He was the guy responsible when there was uh, like some dump-off that like your, your well. brain was like, oh, they'll shut that down, and then he got to the first down. Yeah, that was one thing that... Was a, I mean, probably the only thing that was consistently frustrating is that they were out of position to tackle on drag routes despite running zone a lot. Like, yep. I think Moten was out of position for one. Sainer still, Sainer still I, was I out of position one, yeah. for one. So, but that's more of a secondary issue. Yeah, and it's more well, we can move on to the secondary. There's not really much more to talk about. Well, so, Alex, you were mentioning about Hood didn't even get in the game, and you had mentioned no. previously to me before the game you were skeptical about, like, given what they're doing with Mullings, what does that say for Hood? I mean, getting laid early. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's probably finished, right? Like, probably, yeah. Jimmy Rolder's ahead of you, Mullings is ahead, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, secondary, we didn't really get to see a whole lot. <laughs> I was about to say, what do you want to talk about? Like, here? Will Johnson got beat over the top a couple of times, but able to recover a sec one time. I mean, the one was maybe the best throw of the day by I know, any but quarterback. Like, do, was Will Johnson getting out of phase against Colorado State wide receiver? I he think I go back and watch that. He got a little pushed off, and the oh. one that he not the the one that he actually broke up at the sideline when the guy dropped it. Go back and watch that one. He got pushed off at the end, and then his he like made up for it because his arm is so long it gets in there as the guy's coming down, and he actually managed to strip it out as the guy comes down. So he had it caught. He gets his foot down. You think it's a catch, and then he comes down and like they roll on the ground and the ball drops out, and that was his just freakishly long arms getting in the way. I thought that was a pretty good distillation of what you're going to get from Will Johnson. So that would have been a catch if down the, the sideline. He did, did. He did get he a did, foot he down. Did okay. PBU it. okay. Yeah. Yeah. He did break it up. And that was against Torrey Orton, who was like a decent Mountain West player last year. Okay. Came over with Norvell from Nevada. Uh, the touchdown, some people think it wasn't a touchdown, and they should have reviewed it. Why? That his body came down, and like half of the body landed inbounds, half landed out of it bounds. It was pretty close. It yeah. was pretty close. But the inbounds part hit first. And as we know from Jason Avant, as soon as any part of your body touches down inbounds, you're inbound. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that. I just know that there were people that were... In the comments. Well, yeah. Like, Why didn't they review this? People who think there's holding on every play. Well, sure. I, mean, it, I, I didn't well, even like notice it in real right. time. And then I went back on the rewatch and I was like, oh, actually, that was like really close. And that they didn't well, even review it. All right. So, D.D. Turner had a stick on a screen. Yeah, he did. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jamon Green had anything to do all day. I have n- literally nothing in my notes for him. And uh, we did see an interesting thing at safety where they were rotating in Makari Page. So, it looked mm-hmm. like they had... The yep. three starters at safety thing that Harbaugh said has some credibility one game in. And he had a few sticks at the line and tackles on screens. So, I mean, again, we didn't see anything downfield because we saw, what, two passes downfield pretty much the whole game. But he came up and made tackles, which is Well, nice. that was the thing that he was, I mean, he was a true freshman who should never have been on the field against that Minnesota team. Yeah. But he was completely incapable of any sort of run defense there. So, good, good job. Uh, getting better there. Good job, Rod Moore. Catching a ball thrown directly into your <laughs> yeah, chest. Easiest interception. Not even ever. being sarcastic here after last year. He also had, came up and made a really nice stick at the line. Yes, he did. He had a, yeah. and he had another one where he was getting in, and then one of the defensive tackles got there first. But but yeah, last year I remember it was just like, well, what do we think about the cornerbacks? And until we got to Penn State, it was like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like I guess Maryland will be a test, and then. I mean, we'll talk about Iowa later in the podcast, but Iowa will not be a test for the secondary. <laughs> Let's hope uh, not. So, yeah, we're, we're waiting until game four to, I think, be able to say anything about anybody back here. And I assume we're not really tracking any redshirt anything because it more or less doesn't. With, with the four games matter. now, I mean, I, I, I don't think we're going to see Jimmy Rolder after four. After the UConn game. I, I disagree. I think Rolder's in the rotation now because they got no linebackers. Well, we'll see. Yeah, that one we'll see. I, I mean, I would, I would ideally want him redshirted, but but we're sort of phasing out of that in general, unless it's like O line, right? Because I mean, guys are generally they get a big poppier and are gone. Well, it's I think it's still a valuable part of your program. Like okay. look at Eric All or Schoonmaker, right? Like, well, I don't think all redshirted Schoonmaker did. Schoonmaker did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, either way, with NIL and as soon as Michigan gets 
more off the ground with that. Like you have a little bit better way to hold on to guys who are kind of on the edge. Okay, that's true. Okay, with nil up and running, do you get Hintonback if he's going to be a UDFA? Do you want? Yes, I would want him back. Okay. (laughs) Well, but some of the buzz was maybe he was starting to get past. I don't know. I mean, I saw Cam Good, who was a very big drop from Mozzie Smith. Yeah. Did you say a very big dude? Because I would believe that. (laughs) Yeah, Good, uh, I don't think is going to play just from what we saw. Is he not living up to his name? No, because Mason Graham is is awesome. He was was in the third rotation of defensive tackle. Yeah, Yeah. there was like... Benny got in, Rooks got in ahead of him. Yeah, Rooks was a little bit ahead, but they were mostly together. But there was like a clear drop-off from like Rayshon Benny to to Good. Yeah. And Good good probably gets like the spate one drive a game kind of defensive tackle role. Yeah, just like spot a guy so that you guys are all completely fresh. Shout out uh, DJ Turner for the scoop and score, not giving up on that play. Because yes. the CSU guys were like, oh, it's incomplete. Yeah, well, everybody standing was. around, and mm-hmm. he did the right thing, which was play it out. He also gave someone a Hassan Haskins-level stiff arm yeah. to score that. <laughs> <laughs> so, And got a block from Michael Barrett, I think, which is like, as soon as there's an interception, if that guy's on the field, like, remember, that's your up back on your all your return games. Yeah. And like, He's like, well, I know how to do this. <laughs> well, and I mean, that kind of le- lends more credence with Turner. Like, you might want the ball in his hands. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are places you can put those guys. All right, anything burning in your chest on the defense, guys? Did, what did we think of Minter's blitz packages? Oh, that's that's actually a good thing to bring up. I, I was encouraged. So Dewar caught mm-hmm. the, like, you set your protection, and then we automatically check into something. Right. I enjoyed that a lot. I also enjoyed they went tempo. And Michigan didn't look to the sideline. Mm-hmm. They just signaled to each other. And what they signaled themselves into is a corner blitz, which I don't think they ran all day. <laughs> and Will Johnson comes off the edge, and they get like two yards. Mm-hmm. And that was night and day from last year. And oh, that's the one where he gets in the backfield on the run. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then they went tempo. The next snap, Michigan's not quite set, but St. Russell's able to get out there. So they two tempo snaps, total four yards, and no sideline checking. Yeah. It's all check with me on the field itself when they go tempo. So it seems like they have a much better plan. That's not quite an answer to what you were questioning, but I think that's a major step up from last year. I mean, that's a if they can get to that level, <laughs> like, I'll take that. I mean, there, there was one blitz where I think Sainer still and Colson took the running back out of the backfield, and they were like, oh, one of us has to go and blitz. Yeah, that, was, that was the Sainer still sack, <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, the coverage downfield, and that was another point to this, too, that – when you blitz like that, you're putting more on your coverage on the back end. And Michigan was able to man up. And, like, when the quarterback's looking downfield, because, oh, no, there's two guys coming at me who are unblocked now, uh, there was nowhere to go with it. Yeah, and, and there was a, te- a snap on which Upshaw dropped off into, mm-hmm. like, a buzz zone right under a slant that was there. And the quarterback was able to scramble for a first down. But I felt like he didn't really know what he should be doing on any particular play. And the quarterback? Yeah, and that's yeah. when seven sacks is not just pressure. Seven sacks is like, I can't get this out on a three-step drop ever. And I'm not really sure what I'm looking at all the time either. Yeah, and this is a guy in his first start, so it's kind of like, how much does that matter yet? But it definitely seems like a much more complicated defense to try to unpack from the quarterback perspective than Don Brown. And even last year a little bit, but pot last year was kind of like, well, we don't need to do this. We have Jesus and God at defensive end. <laughs> 
I mean, they it, the air raid is supposed to be a very organized pack because it doesn't take a whole lot of play calls. It's just like, you know, there's the look, there's the well, leverage, yeah. and you throw it. And he could not find his leverage. He could not find his looks, well, which is the thing that... Their whole offense afraid. is like dink and dunk, so our pass protection doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do that, so the pass protection mattered, and then they died. The end. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break, come back. It'll be Sklar's time, and also we're going to talk some special teams, I guess. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley. Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of HomeShare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use HomeShare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com, that's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E, lending.com, slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue! Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, Equal Housing Lender. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference.
you're doing anymore. <laughs> I don't know who that's imitating. It's, it's not imitating anybody. He's imitating himself. I'm just okay. Of all the traditions that we've on. started on the podcast, he regrets this one. This the is most. the most self-destructive, <laughs> yes. Sure. It, it is literally Gollum getting a prostate exam. <laughs> <laughs> literally. That, literally. That just it implies is, extremely bad things about It is figuratively. All right, thank is, you. Thank you. Thank you. Fine. I don't want to be gone getting a prostate exam. Are you sure? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Seth, give me your hottest take. Michigan should bench J.J. McCarthy because they don't want to get their starter injured. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, he's keeping the ball on runs and like running through three guys after like you know the two plays that we needed to know our answer. Yeah, and I'm like. Oh, he could get hurt. And I go, that could be bad. I mean, that assumes anyone's able to tackle him ever, which is not <laughs> possible. Mm, I so. mean, he, he plays with reckless abandon. He likes to run the ball. And I kind of think we don't want to put too much mileage on him against Hawaii. So start McNamara and <laughs> and, and keep JJ wrapped in bubble wrap. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't you just do that for all of the too deep for the next two weeks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Randy, give me your hottest take. Oh, God, this is going to fly in the face of Seth, but J.J. McCarthy will be our best third down running back option <laughs> with numbers as good as Hassan Haskins from last year. Oh. Wow, yeah, you're you're like, okay, wrap this guy in bubble wrap, and Randy's like, all right, blood for the blood god. Dude, I don't know. About, I mean, that's good. How about we just... How about we just teach him how to slide, and he'll learn how to do that. But like, no, oh man, no, like, no, head first, no, never slide, never slide. Hit dingers, yeah. No, <laughs> sliding is the worst. Sliding is just lining yourself up to get re- like rattled in the head because the someone's trying right. to come in and get your chest. Yeah, and as soon as you go down, they're just going to get you in the head, and they're not going to call it. So don't don't slide. Just go down. All right, we just want to thank Randy. He's, he's doing his hot take from a car wash. Uh, yes, that's thanks. dedication that you don't see on every podcast every week. Is is it a self car wash or is it the one where you actually get to ride through the little conveyor? I didn't even get to ride through. I got to watch it through a window like I was watching a movie. Oh, jeez, come that's, on! I mean, it's fun to go to the car wash. My kids get mad at me if I take them to that car wash. <laughs> I watched. Like, I what are you doing? Car- <laughs> I, no, I watched the car go through the car wash like I watched the Iowa game. I'm like, nothing's happening. <laughs> What's going on? This is moving too slowly and. Just whatever. Anyway. <laughs> All right, Jason, give me your hottest take. Dave, give me your hottest take. Okay, maybe this is reaching, but Harbaugh's rigging the QB competition for JJ to win. No, 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 no. You didn't use the voice. That's your job. No, no, <laughs> no. No, we all do the voice. You all do the voice. I thought this was How the thing we. Been? Have you not been on? One? You haven't been on one of these for yeah, a while. You need to like. Yeah. I thought this is the thing we regret the most. 
Well, we do. Do but it. <laughs> we still do it. Well, that says other it's things. It's like being a parent. <laughs> That's wow, a, that's a that's that's really that is right not that, that is we need, not my Seth. You might need to edit that. Honest we, opinion. We that's, probably should edit that. That's, 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 that's just f- uh, no. <laughs> try to save some face here. <laughs> that's now the title. Okay. No, no, that's going to. Anyway, give me your hottest take and use the voice. Harbaugh is rigging the QB competition for JJ to win it. Okay, is that okay? You sounded like an eighty-year-old with a smoking problem, but that's great. That's perfect. As opposed to your voice. Well, <laughs> sounded like how Bre- like Brad Robbins actually would sound I, like. You, me you, look so, so, so you just sounded like Brad Robbins. Yeah, okay. So, there you go. Okay. So I mean, first of all, you look at the game plan, and mm-hmm. there's no throwing downfield for Cade, so right. he just gets to look how he's looked since we've seen him play. Mm-hmm. And then JJ comes in and literally does all of the things that Cade could not do, and sure. that we need him to do in order to make different things functioning. Also, JJ gets to start the primetime game at night that everyone's going to be, like, fired up for. With a 50-point like, spread. And rumor is is that Jaden Daniels is going to be in attendance, so who's he going to be watching playing quarterback? JJ McCarthy or Cade McNamara? Wow, these are all compelling assertions. That so you what you're made. saying is that my hot take is also cold like they've all No, been. no, no. This is a, this is genuinely a hot take that, the like, you're, you're going, like, January 6th on the Michigan quarterback competition that's that qualifies as a hot take sir i i just think that like i I mean the offensive guys have to have an idea of who they want to win this right like they don't they're it's not a true okay now you're getting into like they're not blocking for mcnamara no 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 no, no, no. (laughs) i mean i was gonna say that he greased ronnie bell's palms to drop that pass but Uh (laughs) it wasn't penn state so all right that is that is an excellent hot take Randy, give me your... No, wait. Randy. We did Randy already. J- Jason's just coming back Jason's on just coming here. So. Well, so we'll cut this part because we managed to seamlessly work through this. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Jason, give me your hottest take. Alan Bowman will be our starter by the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't look bad. Come on. He, he was behind okay, Davis Warren didn't. in spring, you know? Yeah, that's apparently not. Bad. Listen to me. Listen. So JJ's gonna win the starting job, I believe. Cade will transfer. JJ will try to run and not slide. JJ will get hurt. Alan Bowman is your I don't. I don't. I don't like. Way. I don't like that. So Neither what? do I. But I'm telling. I'm a truth sayer. A soothsayer. <laughs> what about Davis Warren? D- Davis Warren. Uh, so I miss Davis Warren. I I wanted to see him in there. So. I agree with you. I would love. Would have liked to see him. Well, too. apparently the guy who started like 20 games for Texas Tech is still ahead of the walk on. So and oh. and let's I mean he hasn't looked great at Michigan but he does have proof at on co- at the college level that he can play and he yeah. definitely has weapons. He still has thrown Isn't more it? passes than everyone else on the roster combined. Well, yeah, we're working on that with Donovan Edwards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although apparently not in this game, I need Gaddis back to do that only. Right. Like, that's it. Yeah, I they didn't have him throw it that nobody threw it but quarterbacks in this game. <laughs> I mean, like, it's crap. Yeah. There wasn't and even a flea flicker. Didn't they have a tight end double pass flicker. in the spring game? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's some garbage. Anyway, here's my hot take. Jim Harbaugh's preseason assertion that the defensive ends were just as good as last year is the honest truth. <laughs> <laughs> 
You, you're yeah. talking about literally. Aiden Hutchinson broke the record for UFR. The problem against Ohio State. A problem <laughs> with the defensive ends this year is we got five of them, yeah. not two, Seth. Five of them. Oh, yeah. The Heisman finalists are going to be Iyabi Anoma, <laughs> Braden McGregor, and Derek Moore. So okay, so now that is the hot take for sure. Yeah, this is a hot take that's because hot it's take. giving credit to CSU's offensive line, and that, <laughs> sir, that's not, that, sir, is very, very wrong. There yeah, are so there many levels of hot Moore takes. Just like <laughs> stood up, pushed back a lineman, and then hit the quarterback while he was passing. Yeah. he didn't get. You got a pressure. It wasn't a sack, but like, wow, dude, Seriously. that was serious. Seriously, exactly. <laughs> Also, we, Mason Graham we was creating five. half of that pressure. Sure, yeah. He's going to be the he's tackle. He's, he's, next year, he's the Heisman. <laughs> I'm on team tackles. You're not Mozzie guy anymore. Now you're ends guy, <laughs> and I get to be Mozzie no, guy. No, I'm Mozzie season. guy. I've always been Mozzie guy. If you can't get enough Sklars, hit up their Patreon or check out the Nosebleeds, which is a UFC-themed reboot of Cheap Seats on UFC Fight Pass, and you can check out the first episode for free on YouTube. And you can watch the first episode for free on UFC's YouTube. And, man, if you miss Cheap Seats, we're bringing it back and it's better than ever you guys will love it thank you guys go blue so this segment is usually special teams and game theory of which there was almost nothing worth commenting on in this game because michigan specialists have been around since 1860 and they are wonderful and the one thing i do want to bring up is the weird aj henning punt return thing Uh it's completely fine well because colorado state clearly touched the ball and then it's a freebie for you as the returner Alex and I were having this discussion, what, just after the play, and the, th- the thing is is that when you do that, one, you have to be pretty darn sure the guy touches the ball. <laughs> it was pretty obvious. Okay, yeah. and the second thing is, is, shouldn't there be, like, an upside to your return on it, though? Like, if you're going to pick this up, shouldn't there be a lane? Like, he picked it up, and there were three guys right there. I know, but... Like the, I mean, you could get hurt. There's a lot of dumb things that can happen there. At least in that situation, you want there to be, oh... I have an alley or I have the edge or something like that. I, yeah. Right? I mean, that's... Yeah, but... It was was weird because he, like, runs, like, right up there, and the ball bounces, and then it hits the guy, and then he picks it up, and it, I don't know, it was just like... Or tried to pick it up. Kind of tried. That's what I mean. Like, if you have to try to pick it up, that's not... Just... Just... Plays over. It's free real estate. Yeah, I don't have an issue with him picking it up. I just... It was just weird how, like tight in there he was like he knew it was going to hit the guy but he was like yeah. right there and I mean, it's he's, like oh he's being he's being extra aware because he's a much better punt returner than uh yeah. ronnie bell who the, should never be punt returning again <laughs> the vibe i got out of that was like ooh, free touches because henning needs some touches well, well that's true and mccarthy are... did hit his buddy one time yeah he yeah. did it was it was that was the speed out but mm-hmm. uh i have i have a i feel bad for Colorado state's punter yeah, that was some, there were some weird punts. Because, like, he's a rugby punter, and then he punts three times, and he should get, like, 15 yards of roll on all these punts, and they all check up immediately. And I was like, oh, man. Well, and the one guy, like, grabbed it right away, which I was wondering, maybe you let that bounce? I was just, like, you don't see those kind of punts just immediately stop three times in a row. Like, I think Michigan could have been in much worse field position for big chunks of that first half. And there's nothing A.J. Henning could have done about it. Right. Just... I don't know. I mean, you see a lot of the guys coming out, a lot of the Aussies, especially like their first year where they don't have some of the um, 
the mechanics that you need for American punting yet. And one of the mechanics is that. It's like the, the, the punt, their direction it rolls is supposedly something they're supposed to work on. So there, there's an article out there in The Athletic about like how these guys transition. All right. Well, check that out if you're really interested in what happened to uh, Colorado State's punter. Also, Brad Robbins just – I mean, I know he's done this before, but maybe this was the first time I really, really paid attention to it. He gets the ball insanely high. Yeah. Like he was like yeah. up – I sit in like one of the last rows along the sideline, and the ball is like up by me. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, I was trying to pound – That's really high. I was trying to pound the table for him in the season preview because I'm like, everybody else is running shield punting. Michigan does not run shield punting. Well, they haven't since it happened. No, but so for Brad Robbins to be getting the results, particularly the return results that he's getting, he is badly underrated as, as a, a punter. punter. Like, I think he's in the conversation for the best in the country. Which makes of, you like, kind of wonder. Especially because everyone is just like, oh, this guy rocket launched it like into the stands yeah. out the back of the end zone. And whereas he has a lot of like purpose to his punt. Well, Adam Corsack, I was looking these stats up. It was like, he's at 37 punts inside the 20 and no touchbacks. Yeah, he's really like, good. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's playing at the right place to win the Ray guy. Let me yeah. tell you. But so you made a point sometime in the past. I don't remember when it was, but you, I think you and I were talking about it and you're like, there should be no inside the 20 anymore. It should. We should have inside the ten. Yeah, I do believe that. Like inside the twenty isn't anything, right? Right. But inside the ten is something. So also, mustache. Yes, <laughs> I was. I was wondering if you were going to get to that because <laughs> the man, the man deserves a prospector name because he, he looks does. like a prospector. We got to figure he that looks out. Like a nineteen tens bare knuckle boxer, or like, yeah. <laughs> like, like the guy That's who, like a Craig who Ross lifts reference. the barbell with the yeah. circles yeah. at the end. <laughs> there was uh, briefly a WWE tag team named the Vaude Villains that oh had God, that as their guys. like shtick, and uh, he looks exactly like he so, could fit in with them. A very so reference. I tweeted that Robbins and I graduated high school the same year, but he looks 35 years older than me. And he <laughs> liked the tweet after the game. Well, I mean, when you do that to your facial hair, that's exactly what you're well, going I mean, You're, you're just, bald at like yeah. 23. So everything he's doing with his hair is for some sort of reaction. Right, yeah. yeah. yeah so it's crucial, I think, yeah. on special teams is to have a guy with weird hair. Yeah, I, I, we were trying to come up with uh, with prospector names for him, and the only one I came up with is old ball goes up at the air, look at the hang time still. Oh, my God, it hasn't come down yet. Wow. All right, we're going to have to workshop that. Can you, can you take the first letter of all of those no, words? Does no, it Does no. it create no, something? It's, it's just that, like, you watch enough football, and you you have an experience of how long a punt is supposed to stay in the air. Right. And Brad Robbins' punts always have that, like, extra beat or two before it comes down. And you're like... Okay, ball, come down now. Like, it's, like it's on a parachute. No. He looks like he's just sort of waiting for it to drift in. He looks like he was hanging out at Gettysburg, and he was like, <laughs> he bet his friend, like, hey, I bet I can punt a ball so high that it won't come down until the Civil War's over. I'm going to kick this melon. <laughs> they had footballs back then, I think. I don't know. They had bladders. Cow bladders. Eamon Dennis was really good at uh, covering kicks. He he was. He was. And, so there you go. And that's a good segue into something we could talk about this segment, which is how bad the announcers were, because they didn't, they didn't like even mention his name. They, they don't care about anything that's going on in the game. I, I it's don't just really. About, they weren't even watching the game, I don't think. I saw a lot of RG3 running the stairs. Oh, my God. I, don't, I'm just, I have a, a button on my computer that lets me skip to the next play, basically, so I don't really 
Because you don't have DVR anymore. Well, I just download it and then I like okay. thunka thunka thunka. So I don't really like get announcer vibes unless it's like you know Tim Brando. Alex oh, and I are God. 68 years old. And did you we see? Have did you see Tim? What Tim? Tim Brando? Oh, yeah. like, I thought oh, we were going to put that in the Jamie segment. Oh my God! <laughs> I don't know that. Oh, should that we was, even talk about that? Or that was I mean, really you, awkward. You might have to leave the room and go to confession. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, one thing: Joe Taylor returned to kick. Oh yeah, he's the other guy that's back. Yeah, the other Roman guy. Wilson this year. Oh yeah, because they he he came way up, right? Yeah, and yeah, so he had to run back kick, to yeah. to catch yeah. up. Yeah, kickoffs. I I mean I know we want to focus on player safety, but I would like them to do something on kickoffs to make it. There was one kickoff return in this game. Like, well, there's I mean there's no reason to have one. I mean I, I, when Corum used to return it, I was like, all right, I'll roll the dice, especially if it's a situation where that could be effective. And with Roman Wilson, I would feel similarly. But I mean, at what point are you like? I won't take this at the 25. I just, is how much evidence is there actually for kickoffs being more dangerous than other plays? Well, one guy for the Bills got paralyzed, and I think a lot of people freaked out, which I'm not saying you shouldn't, but that's Yeah, I, that's I don't think there was, was ever a scientific study. There was more like, you know, let's let's do some flyby analysis. And I feel it's just like, oh, this looks like security theater, Yeah, and we're going to do security theater. It's probably what it is. So if it really is just security theater, I think we should go back to... Because I think the targeting thing was the actual thing that needed to be fixed. I mean, like, football remember... is just not a safe sport. No, but there there were certain things that were part of the sport that were super dangerous and have been legislated out of it, I think, justifiably. I don't think kickoffs were one of those. So what would you want from a kickoff? I think I would just go back to the previous rules. Like at the 30? It's off, kickoff at the 30 and the touchbacks at the 20 and then go from there. I mean, then, then you're going to see kick returns pretty much every time i would say if no, you went if you went to those rules think, from the 30 and and you only get the 20 so if you catch the ball inside the five you're probably thinking i can get to the 20 maybe maybe we leave the the kick off the touchback at the 25 i don't know but like some some sort of Seth, you, I, you have to have an opinion no i think if you kick it out of the back of the end zone it should go to the 25 if they feel the the end zone if you kick it out of the back if they can't if they don't field it in the end zone so if you can actually like kick it through the field goal or something like that like if you have a big strong leg kicker then they take it at the 20 yes okay. and, and otherwise fair. um and if they field it uh, so if they fair catch it or if they field it, then they can get it at the 25 because you haven't kicked it far enough. So that would just at least you'd have a game of whether, like, the guy can, like, boot it out of the end zone every single time. And Yeah. Just and then, give like, me something to be interested in. Is, yeah. it, is this complicated for your average fans, though? That's I No, just so. like if, it, if it's – I mean, I know what you're saying. If it's in the end zone, the, the touchback's at the 20, and if it's not, it's at the 25. Yeah. Alex, you have opinions on everything. Yeah, I don't really have a big take on this. Ah. I, honestly, if they wanted to make the game safer, what they would do is they'd add those big pillow puffs on the on the helmets that the guys play with. In oh, practice. in yeah, in in it, summer camp or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's pretty weird to watch. It's, it is pretty weird to watch, and, it, and like it would ruin everybody's awesome helmets, <laughs> which is why they don't do it. But like honestly, if they were really serious about head injuries, if you look at the history of football, the thing that's made the game safer is better helmets. Period. I mean. That makes a lot of sense, other than probably some wear and tear on some key joints, but yeah. All right, so does there need to be an ultra-targeting call for what happened in the Florida State-Notre Dame game? No, Florida State-LSU game. <laughs> Did you see that? It was like the worst targeting call, I think, in the history of targeting calls. I mean, that's a in long terms list. Of like, 
not bad targeting call, bad event from right. a defensive player. I mean, it was, and that 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 used to happen like all the time. Yeah, like that would happen to Joe Montana, and he'd be like, "Okay, let's go." The, I mean, I'm targeting go calls are in sock. obviously targeting calls are like not that interesting. It's like, okay, that's not a targeting call. I'm more interested in uh, was it the Penn State Purdue game where the Penn State player where there's a fumble uh, or it looks like a fumble. I think it was like this should have been yeah. blown dead. Uh, and the Penn State player comes in not to get the ball, but to separate the player from the ball so that one of his guys can is go that, and get Is that it. legal? No. Okay, and that I was didn't one of the, so. And that's why they called targeting on it, be, not just because he – but, like, the intent was to, like, knock the player out of the way, and he might have actually hit the shoulder first. Yeah. But, like, going after the player as opposed to going after the ball – it should, that made sense to me. Like I'm like, okay, as soon as that's the explanation, that should be targeting as opposed to like there's a lot of times where you're just trying to separate the guy from the ball and the guy puts his head down or like then the quarterback is uh, is falling down and like then you accidentally get his head when you're going for his chest. Yeah. So I think intent should matter a lot. If you legislate the intent out of it, I think you're going to catch most of the danger. I think that they did do a, a solid job of that in – I think that was actually the Notre Dame game because there Notre was Dame, Ohio State. Yeah, there was some hit from an Ohio State player where he was mm-hmm. falling and the crown of his helmet went into the midsection. Of the oh, yeah. 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 Like it almost looked like spearing. Right. But it was totally inadvertent. Yeah. And they called it on the field and then or did they just check it in the booth? They were just checking it, I believe. Mm-hmm. So they checked it in the booth and they decided it wasn't. And I think that was correct because even if it technically met the definition of it, the guy clearly did not intend to do that. So. Yeah, and I mean, you can do a fair job of legislating by intent just by, you know, you watch the play, you can tell if somebody is trying to hit the ball mm-hmm. or trying to hit the player. Yeah. All right, I think that's enough uh, <laughs> filling time in this segment. We're going <laughs> to take a break, come back and talk to JB. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or app application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Is your online store sluggish, outdated, underperforming? You may be suffering from chronic crappy website disorder. One in three online stores built by your brother's friend's nephew currently suffers from chronic crappy website. But now, there's hope. Introducing Human Element. Huel has helped hundreds suffering from CCW to turn their online stores around, creating fast, secure, and engaging online experiences that turn visitors into customers and put products back at the top of their search engine game. Before Huel, I had abandoned carts, browser errors, and poorly animated GIFs. Now, with Huel, I can focus on what I'm actually good at 
running my business. Jeffrey, would you be a deer and pull the Ferrari around? Side effects may include increased traffic, customer conversions, better ROI, compliments, elation, and early retirement. Why live with the disappointment of chronic crappy website disorder? Speak to your human element consultant today to see if Huel is right for you. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. Here's the thing people say. Seth, tell me about your insurance. I'm actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did. Let me guess. You use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group. They are MGO blog readers and they don't advertise during football games. And they've got a five-star rating on anything you would care to see. Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com. Trying to find the sound inside of me. Stephen played a record and a sad in shock. Was it Jonathan Richmond or Iggy Pop? Can I get a little bit of what you got? I don't think I ever want this song to stop. Cause that was the good stuff. And it knocked me on the floor. I tasted the good stuff. We welcome in Jamie Mack of JustCoverBlog.com. How you doing, Jamie? I'm doing great, guys. You know, the season's only a few days old, and over in the Big Ten West, we have uh, Nebraska, Iowa, and Purdue already on brand and in midseason form. <laughs> I don't think that there's any place we can start this week without starting with Iowa 7, South Dakota State 3, in a game with no (laughs) touchdowns. And anybody who knows football scores and addition can figure out what happened in this game. And it is glorious. And I didn't watch any of it. I was so mad when when they got another one and it became 7-3. to And I'm like, now people are not going to know. People are going to look at Everybody the score knows. and like fly by and not understand this game was so much better as a 5-3 game. I mean, it, it is it was. truer to, to life. So Iowa finished with 166 yards of offense against an FCS foe. And it's just like, what are we doing here? Yeah, not good. They uh, only gained 26% of their available yards. And they uh, only averaged 16 yards per drive. <laughs> and there were more punts in this game, 20 uh, 21 combined, and then there were first down, 16. Yeah, multiple people showed me Bill Connolly's uh, tweet, the worst total QBR in a win since 2013. Uh, hmm. Number one, 1. 1.1 by Spencer Petrus <laughs> against South Dakota State. The other ones on here are Hunter Johnson uh, against Indiana Wait, wait, State. wait. No, we don't need to know. <laughs> Just Hunter yeah. Johnson against Indiana State is it, enough. Is number one. 1.1. 1. 1. So, wow. this is a team that finished 121st in total offense last year, Iowa. And it looks like mm-hmm. things have gone from bad to worse. Because last year they had a Remington winner at center, first-round pick, and Tyler Lindenbaum. Yeah. They had mm-hmm. 
more than two scholarship receivers. Yes. <laughs> they had Tyler Goodson. They and, had Spencer Petrus, but, <laughs> but they had they had some tools and they couldn't do anything with mm-hmm. those tools and now it's like who's even gonna make this better? They have one tight end and that's the only thing they have on offense. Right. And the the line has not even gotten better. This was the thing. Iowa's line used to be great. That was like the thing that Kirk Ferentz can do is offensive line. And now that Linderbaum's gone, none of these guys can play. Yeah, I mean, most of the other four spots on the line were a disaster last year uh, because of injury and poor play, but they still had Lindebaum anchoring it. But now it kind of looks like all five spots are sort of kind of up for grabs. They were doing a lot of rotating. Uh, you know, So this is usually a coaching staff that knows how to put an offensive line together, but I don't think they really feel good about who their best five are right now, even as the season's already started. Yeah, and one of the major issues with their situation in terms of people to target is so they target Laporta seven times in this game. They get two catches for nine yards out of that. So if you can't run the ball and people aren't worried about your receivers, well, they can just stick a safety on your tight end and then he can't get separation. And then he's not really being a mismatch. Right, exactly. And it's not helping that that Spencer Petras just overthrows him all the time, knows how to throw behind him, even when he finally does have a step on somebody. You know, he could, uh, you know, he's he's a problem, and I don't think they really have anybody, you know, behind him or coming up in the pipeline to solve it. This was the ninth time in 10 games that uh, he's had a 55% or less completion percentage. And I was actually only thrown three touchdown passes in the nine, in the last nine games, and he's actually only thrown one of them. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that you got to keep in mind here, this is not North Dakota State. This is not like good FCS team. This is like mediocre, maybe be okay this season FCS team. So this yeah. is like – and they were completely a match. That was an evenly played game, even though, you know, I mean, South Dakota State's offense was just terrible. Like, it just – like, they're, they, they wouldn't be able to move the ball on anybody. Okay, so yeah. – they were eleven and four in FCS, and they played. They're a good FCS team. Yeah, I'll push back a little bit on Seth on that. They're ranked number three. I thought it was going to be. I could. I could see this game being competitive just because of the way how Iowa plays football. But yeah, I mean, they, not, they, scoring, I, not scoring a touchdown against them is just think not you're acceptable. Confusing them with North Dakota. Oh, North Dakota. Yeah, Nebraska played. So yeah, they went. They got to the fourth round of the FCS. We'll get to them later. Last year. Okay. <clears throat> Still, look at that offense. I mean, anyone who watched the game, if you South Dakota State could not move the ball, and that that offense would not have moved the ball against anybody. It was not like an Iowa right. covering everybody and like just beating them off. No, it was like their receivers could not catch the ball, their quarterback could not throw on target. It was just a bad offense. Well, it's sort of embarrassing that you, that your defense has to snuff them out every drive, or else you'll lose. <laughs> To South Dakota State. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think this game deserves. They a big ought to think about maybe making. <laughs> this. Yeah, they should maybe make their whole offense out of Tory Taylor, their punter, who I had four hundred seventy-nine punting yards in this game. Yes, I, I was told through Twitter that they actually announced that over the PA <laughs> at Knick Stadium. I, I don't know if that's true or not, <laughs> but I think that his performance punting was was amazing, but I think um, when you dig deeper, it kind of shows you know, how troubling the Iowa offense is, mostly because of his punting. They ended up with a field position advantage, according to uh, games on paper, 
by uh, Iowa at their 38-yard line. South Dakota State starting at their 18-yard line. 20 yards difference in the field position game. And Taylor pinned the Jackrabbits seven times inside the 20, five times inside the 8. Iowa never started a drive inside their own 25. Um, They had three drives in the second half in the fourth quarter that started at their own 44, their own 43, and the 50. Um, I think some of that was because of the second safety. (laughs) But they couldn't get a first down on any of those drives, let alone a field goal to kind of put the game into, you know, safer territory. It is terrible all around. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's really a whole lot more to say about Iowa. They have a great defense. They have a terrible offense. Moving on. Yeah. Let's go to Penn yeah, we'll State. See. And we, we get Iowa State-Iowa next week, so we, we can discuss the Hawkeyes more because I'm sure that game is going to provide El us with That is going to be like the queen <laughs> right, right. of all El Asicos. Let's move on to Penn yeah. State 35, Purdue 31 after doing pretty much nothing in the second half. Sean Clifford leads a stirring game-winning touchdown drive after Purdue just cannot put the game away despite going ahead on a puke six. (laughs) Uh, But Purdue Purdue is not a team that has a four-minute drill, and that really cost them in this game. Uh, Clifford actually went out uh, late in the first half, I believe, after taking a real low hit that was flagged, one of those uh, Mm -hmm. ACL busters. Um, Drew Aller comes in briefly and it feels like they shot up Clifford he came back in and he just wasn't able to plant until like he looked terrible yeah for the whole second half and then they got to yeah. this final drive and he just turns it on so major takeaways for Penn State they cannot run the ball at all still they have no. a touted freshman back singleton who was 31 yards on 10 attempts Clifford has a total of two rushing yards in this game partially because of the knee, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. But it just shows you how dependent they are on his ability to move the ball on the ground if they're going to do it all as a team. And then they have a transfer slot um, who came in, Tinsley, who I think is, is going to be a dude. Um, but He was in that video game offense from uh, the Hilltoppers, right? Right, yeah. yeah. So Brenton Strange has a very strange touchdown at the end of the first <laughs> half where he goes out of bounds and it's like – to me, I was like, it was 50-50 whether he was really forced out or uh-huh. if he was running around a guy who had position. They give it to Penn State. They're like, okay, it's fine. So he breaks a tackle, and they that's one of their touchdowns. And yeah. it just kind of feels like smoke and mirrors from Penn State mostly. Yeah, you mentioned their their freshman back, Singleton. They, they uh, also ran two other running backs, eight or nine carries each. All told, 26 carries for the running backs for just 86 yards. That's 3.3 yards a rush. They haven't had a 100-yard rusher in the last 17 games. Yeah, I, I mean... It seems strange because three years, two or three years ago, they had the stable of running backs that everybody would die for. But they've never really had an offensive line. And even, you know, against Purdue, they're they're rotating their left guard you know, possession for possession, or I'm, I'm sorry, quarter for quarter. Um, and they also benched Caden Wallace, who's been their right tackle for a couple of years, because you know, he just kept giving up pressures, and they went with a, with a new uh, right tackle uh, down the stretch in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, kind of what we were saying with Iowa, except this staff doesn't have the same history of putting together an offensive line, at least not at the current stop they're at. Uh, yeah, I'm mean, beginning to wonder if they ever will. Purdue who could not average two yards a carry last year, basically matched them in yards per carry, which is yeah. not 
Good. I kept I kept refreshing the box score on Thursday night to kind of like I I was fascinated by that I was like are these two teams gonna have the same merits for carry? Yeah, <laughs> well, Penn State Penn was State. trying to establish the run early on. They're yeah, like, at least Penn State. <laughs> like they're trying to say like this is what we're gonna do now because they've heard so long that they can't run and then like they couldn't run. It, it's it was a um I. I Put a thing out about the uh, about the, it was ironically I put it out right before Clifford went off, but like it felt like the transition at the end of every James Franklin quarterback, where like Hackenberg just like gets hit too much and falls apart near the end mm-hmm. of his career, and then Trace McSorley comes in and it's like okay fresh blood this guy's new he's doing it and like McSorley falls apart at the end of his career, uh, and then you know Sean Clifford comes in and I mean. You got to give that guy credit. He is playing hurt. He's playing. You know, he gets hit and he gets back up again. He makes things happen. He is that offense right now, and yeah. I keep on wanting to count him out. Like, okay, he's out, <laughs> right? And they're they're gonna yeah. have to go with a new guy. Um, but well, more than the other guys, he's managed to keep it going uh, a lot better. You know, even though he's getting pounded out there. So uh, you have. I to- mean, we'll see, right? <laughs> yeah, like. For most most of this game, it looked like he was just done, like kaput. Mm-hmm. And then he has the stirring final drive. But like, if he already looks like he's gone through twelve rounds in game one, mm-hmm. like I, we're gonna see how Drew Aller does. I think at some point in this season, from Purdue's perspective, uh, they seemed pretty much like the same team. They have no defense. They have a star receiver who's a transfer from Iowa. Charlie Jones. Right. Don't gets, they have two tree transfers from they Iowa? Do. Yeah, he gets 19 targets in this game for 153 yards, 12 catches. He had 14 catches last year, and Gus Johnson kept calling him Chuck Sizzle. <laughs> this is the greatest transfer decision in the history of college football. Right? You feel good for the guy, right? Like, right. You got out. <laughs> like he's like he's like O'Connell's bro from high school, and O'Connell like calls him up and he's like. Hey, you want to run it back? And I bet he didn't even hang up the phone. He just packed and <laughs> right. he left Iowa City that minute. And exactly, he just left his phone on speaker. They kept they talked about plays while he was packing or something. <laughs> <laughs> like the easiest decision in the history of decisions, and uh, he's on pace for 144 catches this year. Right. I'm drawing a blank on the other Iowa wide receiver that transferred here, but I'm I'm waiting for him to have a breakout game as well. Tracy, Tracy, I don't remember. That's right. That's who it is. Yeah, that that's. uh, Yeah, he's right here in the box score. One catch for eight yards. Yeah, well, he didn't break out in that game, but I'm I'm waiting for his big game too. Just he had a couple catches. Just for just for the Iowa Twitter reaction. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. I mean, they. I I wonder if like you know Purdue just like papered uh, Iowa City with like copies of their playbook, like. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I mean, if they could tackle, they would have yeah, won that game. I mean, that, that tight end touchdown at the end of the first half was a backbreaker. Yeah, and should never yeah. have happened. Like, yeah, you have two never. guys converging on him, and they just both bounce off. And like the, yeah, I, I, again, I was watching with a former football player, so he was just like, "Oh, that's terrible! Oh, the game they can't." <laughs> and he was just like grumbling like crazy about tackling technique right there, and also had a lot to say about their offensive line technique, uh, but. I mean, that's a been a problem for Purdue for a long time, and like, you know, yeah. if they they could have won this game going away if they made even a couple of those plays. Yeah, well, it was definitely the full Purdue experience. You know, a lot of defensive breakdowns, uh, a lot of exciting offense, but in the end, they couldn't couldn't close it out because they 
just haven't bothered to design an effective running game. Um, that's their 17th one-score loss under Jeff Brom. They're 10-17 and 17 in those games. Um, uh, you know, I just think that they uh, – I was surprised. I wasn't really that 17. surprised how much they missed George Kurloffis. You know, he was such Scott, an impact player on defense last year. And Scott Frost like, is like, oh, my, like that, that was amazing. The Jenga piece. That was the Jenga piece that sort of crumbled their <laughs> – their defense, you know, removing him because they were pretty solid on that side of the ball last year, but it sort of looked like they were back to their 20, their pre 2021 form, even just without one player. It, it sounded like Brian was transitioning us to Nebraska <clears throat> Northwestern last week. No, we're not. We're transitioning <laughs> to Rutgers 22, Boston College 21. Rutgers' first victory over Boston College and 11 cracks. Uh, I would not think Rutgers is that different, though. They had 110 yards passing between two different quarterbacks. Their game-winning drive <laughs> was 12 plays, 11 rushes, and one incomplete pass. So mm-hmm. uh, they can move the ball on the ground some. They they have three different guys who got significant chunks on the ground against a, a legitimate ACC team that was favored by nine. So I think that is a little bit of something for Rutgers, and they, they hold uh, Boston College to 21 points, also a little bit of something. But if they can't throw yeah. the ball at all, it's going to be hard to see them survive in the Big Ten. Yeah, um, you know I agree. Can we talk about the first quarter of this game? Sure. So Ruck, Ruckers. Um, so you know Noah Vedral is supposed to be their starting quarterback, but he's banged up, and Shiano was playing coy with that all week. As it turns out, he was unavailable. Um, they had a different quarterback take a snap on each of their first three. So the first drive, Johnny Langan run, second snap, Winston comes in and hands off, third snap, um, their third quarterback, Evan Simon comes in and throws an incomplete three and out. That was weird enough. Rutgers, you have my attention, kind of. Their next <laughs> offensive possession of three and their next offensive possession is a three and out. Okay, Rutgers, you've lost my attention again. They get the ball a third time and they get a big chunk play, a big run uh from uh the Winsault guy the Winsack quarterback, who's their big you know, four-star uh, redshirt freshman recruit. They get another first down, so they have first and goal at the nine. Rutgers has first and goal on the nine. Do you think they scored a touchdown? Oh, that's no. right. They punted. <laughs> Do you think they kicked a field goal? No. They ended up punting <laughs> on fourth and goal from their forty from from the Boston College forty-three yard line. Of course, though. Of course, um, their amazing punter pinned VC at the one because of that punt. So at least they got that that out of it. But it was uh, just an assortment of all sorts of penalties. Uh, Langen committed a uh, offensive pass interference. He's a tight end now. Uh, they had a, a four-man-in-the-backfield penalty. They had a holding penalty. <laughs> um, they took a sack. They actually had a, a penalty on that sack that got declined, but all told it ended up being fourth and goal to 43. Rutgers came back and won that game, however. So... That's encouraging too, maybe, guys. <laughs> I, I don't know how much to take Boston College seriously, but Wimsat is, uh, he should be a true freshman. Like that guy. Oh, maybe he is. No, no, no. He's not. He's not. He showed up last year in fall because he graduated high school a year early. All, like all of a sudden they moved him up because they were out of quarterbacks, and all of a sudden this guy shows up in like the beginning of fall, but he should have been a high school senior last year. And this should be his true freshman year. I, you know, he was the big recruit, but like, you know, I, I well, for Rutgers, <laughs> for Rutgers, yeah, I, and and that's kind of what he is. He's like Rutgers JJ, except for you have to give a big discount for Rutgers, and I, mm-hmm. I mean, it, 
Evan Simon looked like the more functional quarterback in that game by far. Uh, okay, that pretty much says all we need to say about Rutgers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moving right. on to Indiana 23, totally. Illinois 20. Another game-winning drive, this one by Missouri transfer Connor Basilak. He goes 28 of 52 for 330 yards. So even against an Illinois team that's probably not very good, that is a massive step up from their quarterback situation post-Penix last year. But just 23 oh, yeah. points against Illinois. Illinois has a running back go for 199, um, and then Tommy DeVito is okay. And how is this a 20 to 23 game? Because both teams actually had pretty decent defenses in this game too. Like my takeaway from this game was like that was not a badly played football game between two bottom of the Big Ten teams. That was like, yeah. you know, a, that that that's like what you expect like a Michigan State Purdue game normally to look like. Well, I'll tell you why. Indiana didn't score more points. I mean, Illinois didn't score more points. Is that Indiana stuffed them on the goal line? Mm. So yeah, Bert got stuffed by Indiana on the goal line, which is mm-hmm. something that was not going to happen last year. Uh, but historically, under Tom Allen, Indiana's had a decent defense, and that might be a sign of life for them. Yeah, I mean, it was a little discouraging that Chase Brown was able to just gash him left and right. But I mean, I think Chase Brown is going to do that against a lot of you know, average to below average teams. And they, they held it together um, otherwise. You know, Tommy DeVito is not the greatest challenge at quarterback, but I think Indiana's got a real good chance of having a good back seven. You know, they had a great secondary in 2020. They had all those guys coming back, but they never played with each other last year because of injuries. They never got a chance to put their starting secondary out there. They're going to do that this year. They look good. Um, and, you know, Cam Jones has emerged as a linebacker, kind of maybe replacing Micah McFadden. You know, that was kind of going to be a huge loss for the Hoosiers, but Cam Jones has kind of stepped up. So I think that they can play defense maybe back to that 2019-2020 form. And like you said, Basilak is at least a step up from the post-Penix injury. So maybe they have a fighter's chance uh, to maybe get back to uh, get back to a bowl game. This was a big, big swing win for Indiana to do that. I, I didn't mean, see, their I problem, didn't see a formula to a bowl without a win in this game. So, yeah, you know. I mean, their problem is that they ran for 30 yards against Illinois, which yeah. even if Bielema is taking them towards respectability on that side of the ball, that's, that's pretty ominous. Yeah. Oh, it, it definitely is. And they haven't been able to run the ball for years. How many big 10 teams have not been able to run the ball for years? But it's so surprising to me. Well, not as much as Indiana. Indiana, Penn State, um, and Purdue is that list. Well, and Iowa suddenly now. (laughs) Well, Iowa's not in that boat where it's just like going into the season, you're like your top back is going to average 2.8 yards per carry. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But so I don't really know if this changes my calculus so much for Indiana other than it makes me a little bit more excited that they can get to a sixth win or at least five wins and then have, have a bowl eligibility on the line in the Purdue game. All right, the uh, last tight game of the week is actually a week zero game between Nebraska and Northwestern in Dublin. You will be shocked <laughs> to hear that a Scott Frost team had a late lead and gacked it up in a humiliating, a strange way. But I will defend their weird onside kick in this game. I would too. Yeah, that was fine. Because uh, they, they like. <laughs> We're just going to like try to hit it up one of the upbacks and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And they hit one of the upbacks, and what happened is Northwestern got the ball on the 31. So it cost them six yards. It's worth a shot. Yeah. I, and like everything kind of was 
tilting their way at that right. moment. And, like, you're – there was mostly Nebraska fans there. So, it's like, yeah. you know, maybe you got them shook right now, and this would be a great way to, like, plunge a dagger into their hearts, and you didn't really lose anything out so of it. So, that was not a problem. There was one yeah. small problem, just a small problem, is in that they gave up 527 yards to Northwestern. I, I thought you were saying the problem was the thing that rhymes with gackling. No, it's uh, it's giving up 500 yards to Northwestern. <laughs> it's the small problem. Yeah. Because they could not tackle. And this has been my Scott Frost thing for a while now, that like he's the anti-Kirk Ferentz, where like, the you know the game plans make a lot of sense. The you know the recruiting looks good. It's like okay that makes sense. You wouldn't go out and, you know they got a lot of transfers. They get a you know four star dudes. They recruit Florida because he knows Florida. Like the program makes sense in ways that Iowa does not. And then you get this result because there's no like fundamentals. There's no offensive line coaching. There's no tackling whatsoever on this team. And it's like. I, the, the players don't know the rules sometimes, and they get up and, like, start – I don't know. Wait. It's just, it, Shit. Huh. The onside kick was not – the onside kick I'm defending was in the other game. It was in the Northwestern game. No. The onside mm. kick I'm defending was against North Dakota. Well – This one was like, what are you doing? I don't <laughs> – No, I think it was fine, too. And I, I gave you my reasons for why that one was – but, yes, it, it's – the North Dakota and Northwestern games do kind of run together. Yes, I'm getting confused because <laughs> Nebraska has played two games in our podcast window here. So apologies for that. Right. And Go. there's enough to make fun of them from both two games. So <laughs> it's, 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 like a, it's like a meaty sort of confusion. <laughs> right. So, I mean, Ryan Halinski looks like a functional quarterback, which is – wasn't he on the team last year? Yes, and he was – he also oh, yeah. made the – no, no, it was Hunter Johnson made the, the list of worst ever, but Hunter Johnson was starting over him at one point. Right, and so now he comes mm-hmm. out and it's like, oh, that looks fine. I I would maybe caveat Nebraska secondary. No, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like <laughs> if you're a Nebraska right. fan and you're looking at this and you're like, Ryan Helensky threw for 314 yards against us? Well, Why aren't you self-immolating? Hall also – also, Evan Hall and Cam Porter almost going, almost combining for 200 yards yeah. rushing. I mean, Northwestern closed that game out by running the ball like 15 straight plays. So, I, I mean, I like Hall though. The, I'm very you know, the, if the, if the thunder, thunder won't get you, the Lightning will. That shouldn't be Northwestern. <laughs> Hold on <laughs> a know? second. Northwestern has Kurt Anderson, who, like, if we lose Sharon Moore to a head coaching job eventually, which is going to happen. Um, Kurt Anderson, former Michigan player, he's the offensive line coach. He's been beating Michigan out for recruits for a few years now, and like. This is the first year you could expect like his effect to really have taken hold because it's like the guys that he's gotten, and you know yeah. they they ran the ball forty seven times against Nebraska and it felt very very Lloyd Carr Michigan kind of running. Yeah. It was like okay these didn't really didn't really feel like they were above their skis doing that either. It felt very repeatable to some extent. I can't wait to watch him play next to see. To see if that was, uh, you know, just a one-off against a bad Nebraska defense, or if that's something they can keep doing. Because I mean, the one strength Nebraska has on defense is are those edge rushers, and those two tackles just totally stone them. I mean, Holinsky had all day, you know. And then you watch this interior line that they've totally rebuilt this year, uh, just dominate Nebraska's interior in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and then Nebraska goes into their FCS game against North Dakota 7-7 at halftime before pulling away in the second half. And Yeah, I don't think S&P Plus is going to be a fave. Uh, they're, they're the ones no. who are not North Dakota State. Right. Yeah. All right, let's run yeah. through the well, uh, roster of 
annoying blowouts. Wisconsin, 38. Illinois State, 0. Minnesota, 38. New Mexico State, 0. Illinois, 38. And Week 0, Wyoming, 6. And uh, Maryland, 31. Buffalo, 10. Do we have anything about this? They are an opponent coming up fairly soon, Jamie. Um, well, I was not able to keep a very close eye on <laughs> on this game. Sorry. But it, it looked like a typical... Big Ten Mac blowout where Maryland just took care of business. And that's sort of a good sign. You know, they didn't linger and, and hang around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm definitely going to be paying more attention to Maryland here in the next two weeks because that, that's coming up for Michigan, and that's sort of the first team they're going to be playing with the Pulse. So yeah. um, I will have a better eye on them uh, in the future. I mean, the action was so spread out around week one. It, it, was, it was sometimes hard to keep track when games got into the blowout mode. All right. And now rival o'clock, Michigan State 35, Western Michigan 13, in a game that was an eight-point game deep into the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of feels like, eh, they might miss uh, Mr. Walker. Yeah, Berger looked okay, but definitely not, not the same. Um, this game was 21-3, to and then Michigan State started doing old-school Michigan State stuff. Uh, uh, Peyton Thorne threw a horrible pass. Thought he was Patrick Mahomes and threw across his body for a pick when they were in scoring position, and then they missed a field goal, and then they fumbled again when they were in scoring position. That's three straight drives when it was 21-3, to and on two of those, Western Michigan took those extra possessions and, and scored and cut it to 21-13. That was disconcerting to me, too. You know, I feel like last year's Michigan State team, even though their defense wasn't that great statistically, they had so much momentum, I feel like they would have stopped one of those quick change drives from from, from happening against them, but you know, Western Michigan got back in the game, and they actually had the ball down eight in the fourth quarter at one point. Yeah, and, I mean, without any sort of vertical passing game whatsoever, this is a total dink-and-dunk outfit. So questions about last year, last year's Michigan State secondaries don't get answered in a game like this. So no. eh, we'll see. The, 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 transfer, the transfer from UNLV at linebacker looked really good. But, yeah, none of the, the – yeah, the DB questions still remain – you know, they play Washington this week, and I know Washington was very assy last year. But I like Kalen DeBoer as their offensive coordinator, and so I'm kind of interested to see if he has something cooked up for their secondary. Well, so, We saw them in Ann Arbor last year. They couldn't do anything passing the ball, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm too hopeful with that. But, so we've seen you know, Kalen we'll DeBoer see. in the Big Ten, and he's solid, yes. and he's also not John Donovan. Mm-hmm. And he also has Michael Penix. Yep. So yes, he does. That could be that could be danger zone for, yes. for Michigan State. And then the marquee game of the week. I'm afraid I'm afraid we've said his name too much in the podcast. He might get hurt now. But, sure. You know. <laughs> marquee game of the week: Ohio State 21, Notre Dame 10. Notre Dame is up 10-7 late in this game, uh, and Ohio State's driving, but everything's a struggle for them. And then they call yeah. a double safety blitz with nobody mm. in the middle on third and eleven. Ohio State scores to go up 14-10, and then that's pretty much all she wrote because Notre Dame's quarterback uh, is a guy in his first start, just really is unreliable, can't really do a whole lot after a 54-yard catch on the first play of the game. He gets 120 more yards of the rest of the game. Stroud looks a little shaky. Like, there were a lot of issues that he was having just completing passes that he normally completes, and I Mm -hmm. kind of – chalk that up to just first week syndrome but well i I think the offensive line didn't look great either for ohio state and that might be something to keep an eye on because they graded out really well last year and then michigan you know got to them in utah but like um 
one of the guys in Michigan really put on his ass, literally, was Paris Johnson. And they moved that guy out to tackle, and he was kind of getting busted up by Notre Dame. So, I mean, Ohio State's got plenty of talent to throw at the situation, but he was supposed to be like an All-American guy preseason and looked a lot more like he looked against Michigan. I mean, the worst thing from the Michigan perspective is that their defense did not look like it was coordinated by Kerry Coombs or had any sort of like (laughs) residual Coombs and Stewart. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I don't know where you want me to start here, but yeah, I'll quickly say the defense, you know, some of the players they have at linebacker, you know, I, I feel are kind of substandard for Ohio State. Uh, and I don't really feel that way. All the Ohio State fans that live in my neighborhood feel that way, too. You know, but Eichenberg, I thought, especially, just looked faster, more instinctual. The whole defense looked physical, especially the defensive line. Um, but Eichenberg at linebacker, three PFLs and two sacks, that that caught my attention because he, he definitely, I thought, was kind of a weak spot. But, you know, he can play football and 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 – if he's got guys in front of him playing great, Knowles knows how to use guys like that to, you know, get to generate uh, TFLs and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was definitely discouraging. I was sort of hoping for a shootout because that would look like, you know, with Notre Dame's lack of quarterbacking, that would look poor for Ohio State's defense. But that uh, that didn't happen. As far as Stroud, you know, the double safety blitz did not work on that go-ahead touchdown, and he was super slow developing. But otherwise, I think Marcus Freeman called an amazing game. If, if, uh, I have not broken down the tape, but I have read some people who have, and I want to rewatch this because apparently he threw everything at the Buckeyes, and it really kind of stunted uh, what they did. And I think that's, uh, that's a key. You can't just have a base defense and play it over and over again against the Buckeyes. You have to constantly throw different looks and different uh, – different formations and different coverages at him. I mean, I pretty much think that's what Michigan did and kept them out of the end zone. On he, a lot they of really, guys. Freeman really did copy a lot of the Michigan. Uh, and they, part of that was keeping two safeties back or at least keeping two defensive backs back and kind of rotating who that was going to be. So you're not sure exactly where mm-hmm. it's going to be, but um, it was generally a conservative, <sighs> you know, let's let Stroud check down kind of uh, game plan. And I think Stroud wanted to, you know, first game, Playing Notre Dame, I think he kind of wanted to go and win the Heisman, and that worked well, against him. I mean, even like he was missing drag routes and stuff, and I don't necessarily think yeah. that's something that's going to continue. It's just mm-hmm. first first game stuff. And then yeah. after they go up fourteen ten, they they are able to just grind down the rest of the game with Mayan Williams, who I mean, yeah. Trayvon Henderson's their starter, but Williams brings them an element of yards after the catch, I mean, yards, yards, yards after, after contact, contact and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I feel like he was effective against a Notre Dame defense that really spent itself. Yeah. He had, he had 49 yards rushing on that drive that salted the game away, including the touchdown, but he also had a 12 yard, uh, 12 yard catch and run. So he had 61 of their total yards on that 95 yard drive. Yeah. And we also should mention that Jackson Smith and the Jiba did not play very much in this game. Mm-hmm. So no, they're 24 seven, uh, um, site is reporting that he has a low grade, hamstring injury and then he's going to be out for a couple weeks hmm. they play wisconsin on the 24th i don't really know if Wisconsin's going to be able to uh challenge them but defensively they should and that would be a piece that if he's not not in there that could that could be interesting because you know they've got these uh you know next up guys like marvin harrison jr and uh emeka Abekwa, but they only had 13 catches on 22 targets yeah. And I believe Harrison Jr. only had like 50 some yards. So, you know, there 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 are some new faces and maybe there are some growing pains there and without Jackson Smith and Jigba, yeah, that that uh maybe that was a bigger problem than than we, than we think. 
All right, Jamie. Good talking to you. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. listening to MGO Podcast. I'm Seth Fisher here with Brian Cook, Alex Strain, David Nasternak. Brian Cook, as you all know, is no longer the Mozzie guy. Mm-hmm.